and action. This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. I'm going to a choice. I could put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. You maniacs! What is a man? When we are successful, we will be. We had a real chance with this. of men. trumpet blast, the seals have been opened, and the horseman dispatched. Three more blasts, and he closes the book on this wicked, wicked war! Praise his name! So come on. Come on, G-Man. G for godless. G for government. Come on. Come on, shoot me. Shoot me, you boot-licking, flag-worshipping, heathen! Shoot me! It only hastes my reward in eternity. Shoot me, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me! And then what happened? Special Agent Keenan... Special Agent Keenan. What happened? I subdued the suspect with a headbutt. 
Welcome to episode 93 of Behind the Schemes for April 18th, 2022, and Hola, soy Booberry. Can you say Bandana Roja? Red flag. <laughs> and all the way from way the hell over here on the Breath Coast, where I figured out years ago that Antonio Banderas is Spanish for Anthony Flags. My name is Lavish. <laughs> What's good? How you doing tonight? <laughs> I am doing very well, sir. How are you doing, Sir Booberry? Doing well, doing well. I do want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, <laughs> the, the keeper... And uh, some of her co-workers had been going around at work saying that, and I thought it was the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> soy la mapa, soy la mapa, soy la mapa. <laughs> That's right, kids. I'm the map. Whoa, 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 whoa. Take it back. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start over. I'm going <laughs> to ask that you not use such graphic language in this production. Would you like me to use more graphic language? <laughs> yes. Always. Okay. When in doubt, more graphic. You can always go to Zoso's corner. It's zosocorner.substack.com and see our graphic. How graphic we can get. I, you know, there was a. I almost made the uh, the show notes quasi graphic, depending on what, uh, uh, how you could interpret certain imagery that we're going to be discussing tonight. It's always a fine line we walk here on Behind the Schemes, not knowing exactly how much to put forward. <laughs> Both feet. <laughs> Both feet firmly on the ground, right in Present front of them. you. Yes. Present. Present them. That's all we ask. Anyway, yeah. Did you have a good Easter? Yes, it was, uh, it was good. And drove and visited some... Some family in the area, and uh, came back and got ready for the show. And I also dug out every single patch that I own, because I have a new denim jacket that I'm going to start working on. Ah, new jacket, new patches. Old Patches old Hulahan here. Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to work, but I'm thinking... It might be fun to try and do like a a boost for your favorite patch or something and make it like a community effort to uh to build this jacket cuz I got <laughs> 3 gallon freezer bags full of patches. It's a lot. You should uh, throw a few on uh NAS or something and have people vote on it. I I want to do something like that. I mean, I got all the back patches too. We were kind of, uh, we were discussing a couple that I have. I got two Iron Maiden ones, one that, uh, that is Night of the Living Dead that's really cool. It's like a printed material instead of, um, screen printed. It's hard to describe. Mm -hmm. Uh, sublimated patch would technically be the, the type, but, uh, I got a lot of options. How are you going to decide which patches you're going to post up if you Uh get so many patches? Not sure. I didn't have enough time to to really uh, come up with a solid enough plan, but I'm working on it. We'll come this up with something. Patches. Name a more iconic duo. You know, the first time I ever met Booberry in person, I met him at the Nashville airport, Lajunta, and I could tell right away when I saw you just from the patches alone. I was like, "That's Booberry. <laughs> That's the guy. That's the guy." Get but him. then there was, and then I looked in your <laughs> eyes, and then I really saw Booberry. 
There he was, staring back at me. Or was I staring at him? Meanwhile, from your perspective, you're just standing there at the airport, minding your own business. When all of a sudden a truck pulls up and a strange man comes out and hugs you. What the fuck is going on? You know what, man? It's not the first time something like that has happened. <laughs> I don't even I'll have bet. to say that for, uh, <laughs> for what's the word I'm looking for? This guy gets hugged all the time, people. You know it. So, Saturday we did go to a um, a barcade to celebrate the birthday of, of one of the Keeper's friends. And I met a dude there that I've ran into Minneapolis several times, but this is a guy that there is no bare space whatsoever on his jacket because he has buttons and pins just stacked in there. This is obviously an obsession. There seems to be a culture out there. He People he told me that that was his patches. That was his thirty fifth vest. And I just, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. It's, uh, it's certain, it's very incredibly impressive. Um, and he uses, he said that he used E6000 to glue all the pins on. Um, mm. but good glue. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> I think the technical term is not going anywhere. Yeah. That's permanent. You don't, that's like, it's more permanent than a pin. That's for sure. But you don't want to have a thousand million pins in your jacket either, because things can go wrong, you know. Right. When the whole jacket is covered, every square inch of it in patches, you don't want a needle on every end of that. No. Yes. Um. Actually, if things I, go wrong. I I uploaded all the ones that I've made to make a folder, but I don't remember if I added it to the show notes. I'll uh circle back on that. <laughs> yeah, um, you're gonna have to circle back. But the, it was just, it was nuts because in my experience with all of the traveling and all of the bar hopping over the years, people in the wild will come up and make conversation like nothing. And that was the norm up until 2020 when I stopped going out for the most part. And now everyone's socially inept because everybody's been inside. Yesterday, for the it was who haven't been minus the everyone in the mask. It was, it was like nothing had changed. It was, it was a little jarring just because, I mean, I myself, I'm, I'm just not used to really having too many uh, public conversations with strangers. But there's like five or six people throughout the day. Even played mm-hmm. pool with a couple of dudes who oh, whooped dude, my people ass. People are so friendly. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, we didn't lose any money on it. No, I, I uh, got him a shot of Hennessy. Oh, good. Well, that, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, man. I, everybody wants to to do it. Everybody's in such a good mood, and everybody wants to go out and have a good time and enjoy. And I'm sure it's even more so around where you live because it's so cold in the winter that in the summertime everybody wants to get out and party, right? Yeah. Yep. All the outdoor bars become dog parks, and people mm-hmm. congregate. Yeah. I and hope I've, it's a sign of good things to come. I I think so too. I hope so too. And even around here in communist psycholand, it's it's just about back to quote unquote normal. Like I can walk into any store now without a mask and it's not a big deal. Which to me is just that's it, dude. That's like all I really wanted. <laughs> it was just to 
not have to wear a mask all the time for any reason. And even people, and then it also makes me happy to see that people who work in these, in restaurants and establishments, they also don't have to wear masks, which is great. Um, because I feel bad for them. Those people have to like sit back there and and wear it, you know, ten hours a day, eight hours a day. Yeah, at least that was the that was the experience when I was working at Menards. Yeah. Eight ten hour day. It's just sucking in, <laughs> sucking in spit. Sucking in. Uh, what's and- the? They've had the studies with the plastics of those blue masks, the polymer, <gasps> whatever. Would you dare suggest that? People wearing blue masks would be inhaling microplastics into their lungs. That doesn't. Not sound- only would I imply it, but I'm trying to look for the exact polypropylene. Polypropylene is being found in people's lungs all over the place. And guess what? Everybody recommended it. What type of mask everyone wear? Fucking blue, three ply, disposable. Polypropylene, propylene, non-woven fabric mask. Social credit deducted. You know, I have to say, these apps on my phone are really listening to me a lot for ads. Seems like everything I say, they start tailoring ads to me. And then when I hang out with people, they're like, you know, when I hung out with you, everything that I said came Mm -hmm. an ad on my phone. Yep. Oh, boy. I I wonder if anyone cranked up the volume on. You never know. How am I supposed to know? Maybe it's all of our Amazon friends and somewhere on the East Coast, United States. Somewhere spooks around here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But yes, I I shit on Langley literally last week. But okay, (laughs) I I did. uh, I did totally see that uh, article implications about the microplastics. It's gnarly. Not good. Not good. Just (laughs) back in my day, we used to just smoke that shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have all fat girls in town getting me diet pills. (laughs) Say, go on down to the store and get me some diet pills. I was doing that all the way till the mid seventies. Oh man, that's great. Um, I'm quoting somebody, by the way. Don't don't email me. And if you are going to email me, uh, lavish at behindtheschemes.com or lavishblast at uh, gmail. Want to get into some tarot card action? What is the tarot card for this evening, Sir Buberry? From the Sigil Arcanum deck, we have the Ten of Cups. The Ten of Cups. Yes, this is a this is a kind of a big deal. It's a big card. Ten of Cups is a big card. This is a, it's, it's like a festival almost. It's like this big festival carny situation has shown up. And it's a fucking party. It's got rainbows in it. I find with the with the Rider weight and then also with my card, it's got the rainbow. And we've talked about the rainbow uh, from an occultist perspective before on the show. It's very yeah. powerful. Yeah. Very, very, There's very people powerful. dancing. Arms are upheld in the air, rejoicing. Let's hit some uh, keywords here. Happiness, homecoming, fulfillment, emotional stability, security, and domestic harmony. Mind if I hit him with the description here on lab? No, hit for it. Uh, go for it. 
On the Ten of Cups, there is a couple holding each other while facing a beautiful house and a green garden. Beside them, there are children playing joyously. Uh, the couple seem to be in a stable relationship, while also blessed with the abundance of a comfortable home and beautiful children. Green land signifies fertility. There's a river, peaceful sky, ten cups, rainbow shaped in an arc, which is meant to symbolize blessings from heaven. So this is a very, very wonderful having-it-all card. And cups uh, usually represents emotion or um, pleasure or spiritual fulfillment. Your cup runneth over. And the ten being the completion, the ultimate completion of the cycle and the accumulation of all that one could possibly glean from spiritual and emotional fulfillment. That's how I interpret the card, anyway. And from the uh, booklet that came with the Sigil Arcanum, the completion of the suit of water, all cups now full. Say shitty. Say shitty. Say shitty. Say shitty. The condition of being full or gratified beyond the point of satisfaction. Sure felt. Let's see. I had to look up the definition. <laughs> ah. It's uh, it's like realizing that you no longer need to worry about putting on your best face because you're now at a comfortable place. This card is about the connection between people through the lunar subconscious of our minds. Oh, didn't we just go through a full moon? We certainly did. We certainly did. Yeah, it was a full moon on Easter. It was a big one, too. Yeah. Uh, the one by uh, by my house, the moon by my house was was very large, <laughs> large and in charge. Yes, I like it. This is a card to be celebrated. I think. Um, was there anything yeah. anything else from the uh, labyrinthos that you wanted to touch on? I think that just about covers it. I mean, all the other, all the other. Uh, just facets of it, love, career, finances, just means security, essentially, across the board. And then the reverse, just in case you're curious, the keywords for reverse are unhappy, separation, domestic conflict. So, quite the opposite of this card. A parting shot. Take a moment and breathe. Look around you and be thankful for all of your blessings. This card signifies something that so many of us are searching for. Yeah, this card uh, kind of reminds me of the Buddhist doctrine of you you already have everything that you want. Technically, according to it's a certain Buddhist doctrine that I'm thinking of that I'm referencing, it's like suffering and, and pain and all that. That's all part of life. That is life. But the truth is, is that you have reason to be happy because you actually do have everything that you'll ever need. Especially if you're in good health, you walk around and talk and problem solve, you know, mm-hmm. that's about it. That's all. <laughs> Having a house and being able to pay the bills, that's, that's great. But once you're able to do that, then there's only so much more that you can do really to accomplish fulfillment for yourself. Um, but hey. I like it. I think it's a sign of good things to come. Yes. And a sign that good things are already here. Oh, most true. Most true. If you would like to check out the card that we've been discussing, which, uh, Third Time's a Charm, comes from the Sigil Arcanum deck, head over to zosascorner.substack.com, Z-O-S-O-S 
corner.substack.com. We got to post it up there at the very top, along with the show art and everything else that you would ever need in addition to enjoy this yeah. show. Those notes are a ten of cups. They're all there. They're all ready for you. They're beautiful. And you can find that, yeah, zosacorner.substack.com. Episode 93, baby. This is a value for value production. Uh, we did have one boost come through, um, which was from Servo for 333, saying doot. Doot. Doot, Servo. Doot. Thank you, Servo. And if you yes. like, if you like to be like Servo, which <laughs> let's be real, let's be real, we all want to be. Yeah, that guy's pretty great. Uh, you can head over to Nude Podcasting Apps, uh, NudePodcastApps dot com. Uh, get mm-hmm. yourself one of them fancy new shiny podcasting two point apps. That's right, Nude Podcast Apps. You can check out chapters, you can get some transcripts going for you, uh, you can see all of the sexy art that we use for our chapters, if you're on the Spoofify, or you're on the iSuck, or you're in the Spoofy, <laughs> you're not you're not getting the other half of the show, because every time we uh, bring up something new to the show, we got something something special for you. There's a lot of wonderful things to find on the show. Graphics, Easter eggs, we got all kinds of stuff. And the best thing about it is that ultimately it's it's all available. You can find it all. There's no paywall. There's no anything. That's part of the value for value model. And uh, whatever value you get out of the show, you return uh, in whatever form that you feel is appropriate to you and is uh, you know appropriate to the amount of value that you've gotten from the show. If you give us a voicemail, we consider that basically being a producer for the show because you've contributed, you've given content. Yep. Um, Time and content. Yes. It's time, it's talent and it's treasure. Um, But uh, I know that, you know, things are kind of tough right now. And I know that no agenda and everybody's kind of been complaining about how, I don't know, purse strings are tight or whatever. to, To me, it doesn't matter, but it's, uh, I just I just hope that everybody's doing well, and I hope that you know if you if you don't have uh, any financial contributions to give to the show, please you just give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. We'd love to hear your ideas or whatever's going on in your life. Uh, we got an email from Sir Manny. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Love love hearing from him. We 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 requested that, and it came in, and and we love that. So thank you. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, reach out and support some public radio. It'll do you good. Boost me, bitch. Come on, or ride the little pony. <laughs> Smoke this PCP. Why the fuck not? Do a commercial. You're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore. And uh, end of story. Put on your 3D glasses now. Hit me with that telephone number. That telephone number, if you'd like to call us on our screen mail line, is 612 
263-7999. We get or sexy. Sexy. Call up that phone and call that sexy line. Oh That's yeah. Right. 612-263-sexy. Milf. It's S X X Y. I'm gonna hit not, you with Not M I L F. Quick, get the phone number. Hit it. Right. <laughs> Can't touch this. She's a very freaky girl. <laughs> the kind you don't say count to mama. Right and get her off the street. She likes the super freak. She likes the boys in the band. She said, I'm her favorite. I gotta stop. This is crazy. I don't want this. Hey, hey. We got. We only got two. Do you want to go ahead and blow our load now? Let's blow our load. Let's prematurely. The masses never revolt of their own accord, and they never revolt merely because they are oppressed. Indeed, so long as they are not permitted to have standards of comparison, they never even become aware that they are oppressed. Is that Aristotle or something? I'm not sure. I don't... I know someone was throwing around Aristotle's slavery quotes earlier. Uh, I did see, I think it was uh, Mary Kate Ultra, I believe, on the No Mary Agenda Socialist. Uh, yes, terrific. I'm, I'm curious, about the, curious about this now. Masses never revolt. First, I said the masked never revolt, which I was like, ha. Uh, George Orwell. How could, I, how could we have missed that? Yeah, you know, he's a communist, that's why. Shut him down. Shut him down. Yeah. Yes. People seem to really enjoy it. Or at least, I don't know, they... Oh, the Emmanuel Goldstein portion of 1984. Of course. Of course. Um, you know, the state made that all up. The Emmanuel Goldstein, he was never... He wasn't even a real guy. They just They just wrote that book so they could weed out the people that would be, quote-unquote, problematic. I feel like there's a lot of that going on today. I think the QAnon was definitely that to a certain degree. Or if it wasn't to root people out, it was at least to distract people and put them on the wrong path. And to and to trick them. But I will say, in aims of trying to position myself to appreciate things from another angle, in my mind it would make sense that yeah i was holding a revolution for equity a revolution for science a revolution for being part of the solution it was a real coming to and an awakening for a lot of people for what for qanon no i'm saying i'm saying if i was to step into the shoes of someone that has been all aboard the COVID train, the 9-11 train, everything. If, if I was fully bought into the system, 
over the past couple of years, I would argue that there's a lot of people who truly feel that they have been fighting for a revolution in the name of bringing equity and science to the forefront of everybody's mind. There's people out there fighting for it. So the, on the, one the side, maskers, you mean the maskers are fighting for science and equity. Yes. They've already, yeah, they've they already, st- that. they've already started their side of the revolution, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's not a revolution. It's, it's a, it's like a, to them, they're heroes. They're, they're, they're the smart, responsible adults that are, you know, following the rules and doing what they need to do to like, make sure that we all survive, you know? That's the mentality that I get from these people. Is they, and then all of us are just, we, we make it political. It's, it's because of us that it's political. And it has nothing to do with the fact that it's bullshit and none of it works. And it's all fucking theater put on by people that are trying to rob you. And it's obvious. <laughs> and they're just, they just don't get it because they're so fucking naive. And they're so like dimension B that they just they think that they're in the right. Yeah, I guess you're right. They think that they're... They're they're at least on the forefront of like some battle against us, some the the mindless mob or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's I guess that's where I was taking that. It's uh highly disturbing at times, I think, is the only way that I could really describe it. Well the good news is is that things are seem to be brightening up. I mean, they keep warning us that there's going to be another lockdown and another virus that's gonna come out, but I don't know if people are fucking down to do that, honestly. I don't know if everybody's down to just like go back to doing that again. <laughs> you down to clown a second time there, bro? <laughs> I mean, without real actual <laughs> you know without people like really dying in, in massive numbers. Which, as much as they talk and talk and talk about it, that really didn't happen, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and, and it never happened with the uh, vaccinations either. I mean, it, well, I mean, they mass. have more evidence that it's coming from that. There's people dying from the vaccines, and there is of people dying from the numbers that they're saying. No doubt. I mean, but you know, back when they were saying like, "Hey, four hundred thousand people died this month from COVID," it's like, no, they didn't. You know, right. And there's no one going around on the TikToks or the TikToks, uh, whatever, whatever pun you want to use, filming you know mass pileups of bodies in the streets. Yeah, and all this and all this staged shit that they did, and all these nurses TikToking, and you know, it's just like it was a big joke. Everybody knew it was a joke. I, I mean, it, it happened in New York because New York is is the most populously densely packed city in the country but you know it's a very special case there really aren't there's really no other city in the country like new york not even chicago is like new york with just like fucking skyscrapers as far as the eye can see you know it just doesn't exist really here like that and that's Um, uh that's where i was the very first day of the two weeks to flatten the curve two years ago was in fucking new york yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Now that I think about it, I was in New York September of twenty nineteen. Wow. <laughs> Just a couple months before it went off. And it was awesome. I mean it wasn't as cool as it was in twenty sixteen when I first went. I feel like it's gotten softer. 
but it was cool. Anyway, um, thank you for the uh, call there, Double Thought. We appreciate it. If anyone else yes. wants to get in on that action, 612-263-7999. And I am very sad to say that we've completely blown our load. So by the time we get to intermission, we hope someone out there calls us up. Yeah, just say hi or scream, whatever. Let us know how your Easter went. Mm. If you found any eggs. <laughs> What's this? An egg. Oh, so look at this man, an egg. What are you feeling for a die roll tonight? You got a 12-sided die? I believe so. Should be a, a, a pentagram, five-sided. Yes, there it is. There you go. Let's uh, just roll for highest out of 12, yeah? Let's do it. Well, I'm going to pour myself a tequila now, because I rolled a two. Oh, I got a six. Yeah, man. Sometimes I feel like I'm playing D&D again, you know? And I just be like, oh, yeah, oh, fail. Oh, yeah, oh, fail. <laughs> and I just fucking roll low, 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 low. And then it'll be like, oh, you search this desk. Oh, okay. Oh, I roll a perfect 20. Oh, nice. You found a muffin. <laughs> What's this? A muffin. A muffin. Do you know the muffin, man? Man, do you know that muffin? You know that muffin, man? Uh, shit. Remind me. Who was going first? <laughs> well, you won, so you decide. Uh, uh, I can go first. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah, Fuck go it, for it, bro. Uh, first thing that I got for you here is... It's very interesting. There was some folks in the green room... Also, you can go to irc.zeronode.net, hashtag green room, get in there. Loads of cool-ass people hanging in there all the time. But uh, there was conversations about Revelations last week, and I do my best to read the chat during the show. I'll definitely scroll back through and check check shit out, see if I missed we anything. We reference Revelations a bit, yeah. And, uh... Funny enough, I had found, via No Agenda Social, it's a Mastodon account, I found the Apocalypse Animated. And what it is, is a series of algo-driven GIFs of all sorts of crazy-ass symbology in it, in like these like just two-second loop videos, tells you the tale of revelations. Really? Yeah. Let's see. There. Interesting. Drop that. Drop that link in the chat there. Um, Apocalypseanimated.com. Yep. The artist is oh god, I had it pulled up. Uh Nina Paley. I've actually I've used her engine before. If you take a look at the the show art that I have for tonight, it's all these spinning eyes and Saturn and whatnot. And I unfortunately I couldn't find the link. But she had this generator 
on her website that you could select what images you wanted to spin around, how many of them you wanted to spin around, and what patterns, what rotations, how fast or how slow. You do all these crazy sort of just like geometric GIFs, essentially. But Mm -hmm. uh, she went all out and did damn near uh, an image for every other verse featured in Revelations. Very impressive. So some of the ones I've got featured in the show notes is, uh, it was right at the very beginning. I don't know why I didn't get the number, but it's a, it's a transforming cross, uh, with Mm. very different variations. Very cool and trippy. Blessed is he that readeth and hear that the words of this prophecy of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. And then there's a references of burning eyes, a few verses later, uh, the four horsemen making their mm-hmm. appearance is depicted. And you got the of lady course. and the dragon. I love that one. I love the lady on the, the spinning planet. It's very spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you've got uh, God coming down and, and reaping mankind. Uh, it's like, what, three quarters of the way through? Before, uh, or it's like right after the rapture, I think. I really wish I'd pulled the uh, the verses. I'm a dumbass. Eh, we don't need to be quoting Revelations too much. You never know what'll happen. Yeah, but <laughs> I love these images, though. I'm reading, uh, I'm going through chapter four, and they just have like all these funky, cool, sort of. Uh, they seem like spectral. Uh, yeah, the uh, <laughs> fractal. Uh, I mean, yeah, fractal. There you go. Uh, chapter 17 <laughs> gets uh could i guess get someone out there a little randy it displays the whore, whore of babylon uh making her appearance uh there's some <laughs> there's some really funny shit in here i like it a lot um but i'm also incredibly immature and my jimmies would get stewarded by something such as this mm but yeah, I, Revelations uh, is great for this because it's the most freaky deaky of all of the uh, books in the. It's the most heavy metal book of the Bible. It's definitely the most heavy metal book of the New Testament. I will say mm. that because the Old Testament is pretty fucking metal, but uh, the New Testament, which is mainly just the life of Christ and really the life of Paul and a couple other people going around and figuring out Christianity. Um, then it ends with this, and this is just like, whoa. <laughs> this is not uh, just some guys hanging out in Jerusalem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is next level shit. <laughs> nice. Man, I watched so much, n- not to interrupt you too much here, but I just, I watched a bunch of Easter movies, Easter type movies, and I love the old, like, Ben Hur and uh, Ten Commandments and. Watch the robe and Demetrius and the Greek, all these great old like uh, Roman type movies from the fifties that are all about I don't know, basically the the New Testament, but told from the perspective of the Romans and various people. And uh, I like get into that stuff. I, I I could I could talk about that at length, but I'm going to con- <laughs> let you continue. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure if there is anything else that I have to say. Uh, I, I would 10 out of 10 recommend checking this out. 
uh, if you like this show and you like the things that we discuss. Uh, because from an artistic standpoint, I think, Nina, you knocked it out of the fucking park. Yeah, this is dynamite. Now, I I haven't uh, I haven't reached out and bought one of these. I don't know if I will. Uh, they're pretty cool. Um, but I do dig the fact that she has taken these prints and she has turned them into little lenticular postcards, which I think mm. is uh, fairly ingenious. So I'm um, somewhere on her website is is the uh, it's like the lenticular gifts that she's used, and uh, she's got a couple of videos posted where she's showing off them. I, I just I, I thought they were cool. I like shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this helps. It helps people. Re- hey, I like it when people read this stuff just so that they are aware of what it is. Because to me, like we've talked about, it, we're not really. I'm not particularly religious, but I think it's important to know what's in the what's in this book because it's a very important book. It's influenced everything, and uh, it's it's against my religion to talk about it openly. (laughs) (laughs) You're Islamic. (laughs) It could be. The night is still young. (laughs) (laughs) A few more shots, and I'll be there. Uh, nice. That's so so offensive. I'm going to <laughs> go straight to hell. <laughs> what but, is wrong yeah. with you? Ooh. Oh, hey. oh, back to the sands. Um. Oh, hey. oh. how dare you? Uh. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, thinking this when I was watching these movies. I was watching Ben Hur. You know the movie Ben Hur. With, uh, uh, I've Charlton seen Heston. it. It's uh, it's the one that's got the big chariot race. Uh, that's correct. Is the climax right? Yeah, and it's a fucking great scene. That that chariot scene is actually really awesome. It totally stands up today. I was. It looks like people are just getting murdered. Like <laughs> I'm. I, I will be honest. I'm more familiar with Ten Commandments because that was the one that was like the the once a year watch for Easter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that one, I mean, that's Old Testament stuff, so it's pretty out there. With Ben Hur, it's it's told from the perspective of uh, one of the well, a member of a wealthy family in Judea, a wealthy aristocratic Jewish man who is also played by Charlton Heston, and uh, Jesus's life is like happening in the background of of this guy's story. And so he's going around and he's get he gets sold into slavery and he has to deal with all this Roman bullshit. And meanwhile, on the side, Jesus is born and raised and does his thing. And the movie ends with the crucifixion. But I was just marveling as I was watching this at how um just inaccurate a lot of the stuff that was going on, you know, as opposed to what was told in the actual Bible. Like, when he's crucified in the movie, there's a shitload of people there. It's like the whole country stops what they're doing and goes out, and it's like, oh, my God, they're crucifying Jesus. And all the Romans are like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're doing this. This guy is so, (laughs) you know, like, wow, oh, my God. In the Bible, that is not, I mean, even in the Bible, they're like, yeah, there were eight people there, and, you know, these guys are just doing their job. It was a Tuesday to them, and... uh you know, it wasn't a big fucking deal until a little later, until three days later, as a matter of fact. And 
Just another day at the Crucifixion Depot. It's another day. <laughs> All right, boys, let's do it. I'm going to be home uh, for, you know, for dinner here. And But in the movie, it's like, oh, everybody, everybody in the whole country stops what they're doing. Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, it's just stuff like that. It kind of irks me. I, just, I mean, I know that they always are making stuff that's more historic, not historically accurate, but just literally accurate to what the fucking Bible says. You know, at least just do what the book says. Stop. You know which one I never did see was no, no. Passion of the Christ. I never saw that either. Oh. I heard it was just kind of uh, just a bunch of violence. I mean, that was probably like as realistic uh, as anything gets. It's just them torturing his ass for 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, not another snuff film. <laughs> Sorry. The ultimate snuff film. <laughs> the whole point is that they just, they just fucking rocked that guy. I mean, he got the worst death that you can ask for. And everyone was like, man, that guy died so rough that he actually just like paid for all of our sins just now with how rough that just was. And Mel Gibson was like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> I might check it out sometime. It's on a list somewhere for me to watch. We can put it on the B list for behind the schemes. Yeah. Put it in, put it in the C drawer. One in the C list. Yeah. I don't want to insult the, the great B movies that we have to watch. Oh, that is, yes. Incredibly accurate. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. I think that's, uh, <laughs> I think we'll uh, close the book there on Revelations. <laughs> Play, goddamn you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's like there's there's like there's old sticky soda on this digital board <laughs> on this fucking sure app. soda uh-huh uh why i just anyways this is what happens when we blow our loads a little too early people mm. embarrassing <laughs> uh oh my god did you know mushrooms can talk through me. hey Uh There was a New York Post article that uh, was sitting in the wings, and funny enough, I also noticed last week that people were talking about mushrooms in the chat. Uh, I think yes. it was something about, uh, something about the mycelium. I don't remember the specific context of the conversation. But uh, uh, I think I know that at some point in the show we brought up the idea that Mushrooms might be alien intelligence themselves. Mm, yes, that's you, it. Thank you. Psilocybin, you have that that mushroom intelligence communicating through you, or even possessing you. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Depending on who you talk to, and it makes sense with them because the mushroom is like the perfect embodiment of the fractal or the um, just the the. You break it down and it's just itself, but smaller. Right. <laughs> you know, like a crystal, like a crystal. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so I found but this it's alive. <laughs> it's alive. alive. Uh, I found a, a very incredibly punny New York post article. I'm going to read you some, uh, <laughs> quotes from this piece of shit. <laughs> Lay it on me. You fucking asshole. 
They're shiitake mushrooms. As if mushrooms didn't seem magical enough, UK scientists have found that the multifaceted fungi can reportedly talk to each other and even have a bountiful vocabulary. Research detailing their alleged fungal correspondence was published Wednesday in the journal Royal Society Open Science. Hmm. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, I guess they stuck a bunch of uh, uh, probes into mushrooms and measured the uh, electrical impulses. They, they, uh, they studied four different types of mushrooms, enoki, split gill, ghost, and caterpillar fungus. Uh, they actually, I'm sorry, they stuck the electrodes into the dirt that had the mycelium for the fungi mm-hmm. growing in it. The uh, living tissue, the most living tissue of the fungus. Yeah, I, I mean, shit, isn't the biggest organism ever of this fossilized fucking mu- uh, mushroom or something? And it's huge. Probably. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, that or a banyan tree. No, it's probably some mega mold somewhere. John C. DeVorg brought up slime molds, and he brought up uh, he brought up chipmunks also talking and communicating. Basically, <laughs> like you listen to them talk to each other, and they don't they aren't speaking, but you you can tell that they're talking. Oh, like they'll be eating something, and they'll be like, "Oh, they're bringing in." Oh, uh, hedgehogs. <laughs> hedgehogs. I think it was a hedgehog that he was talking about. I thought it was like a chipmunk or a beaver or something. Yeah. Hedgehog. Probably a hedgehog too. Uh, so the scientists, uh, I, I don't have his full name here. Um, they found that the electrical spikes often occurred in clusters, mirroring human vocabularies and employing up to 50 words. They demonstrated that the distributions of the fungal word links matched that of human languages. Uh, split gills, a species that resides in rotting wood, generated the most complex, quote, sentences of the four fungi. The, po- the postulation is uh, fungi chat in order to make their presence known to other mushrooms in the cluster. Messages could, of course, warn of predators, weather, food supplies, etc. I feel like. I feel like that's not something new. The um, the idea that the fungi chat in order to uh, alert others of you know food sources or molds or predators or whatever. Because I, I thought mm. there's been conversation that um, there's certain trees that do that. Hmm. Am I crazy? I don't think so. I've heard that. I've even heard. Uh... Grassy ass Tyson talk about that. I think. I think one time I heard him make the point that humans could be as tied to trees as they are to animals, or something like that. He he had a photosynthesis point to make about that, but then he also brought up communication between trees. No, oh, service says it's the basis for the Avatar movie. I yeah, I, I only mm-hmm. saw it the one time, so I, I kind of. I'm blinking on specific points of the plot, but, uh, yeah, they, that's, that's interesting. They do do that. Yeah. Cause they take over the bodies of the natives. Huh. Uh, let's see here. We'll go on with the, Oh, I think this was a, um, 
Another punny sentence. However, and this is a direct quote. However, as with a shroom trip, there is the possibility that it could all be in our heads. There's also another option. They say nothing, said uh, the scientists studying them. Propagating mycelium tips are electrically charged, and therefore, when the charged tips pass in a pair of differential electrodes, a spike in the potential difference is recorded. Though interesting, the interpretation as language seems seems somewhat overenthusiastic and require far more research and testing of the critical hypotheses before we see, quote, fungus on Google Translate. (laughs) (laughs) Google ad, by the way. Dumb. (sighs) Well, the servo says, step one, apply electrodes. Step two, p-hack the data. Step three, conclusion is proved. (laughs) Science. Science. The scientific method. What do you think? You think, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm totally into the idea that fungi communicate just because we don't have any words or way of defining how things that we are not inside of can or cannot communicate doesn't stop them from doing it. Uh, But generally, I'm in favor of this story. I think it's pretty cool. It's, It's a matter of what you consider communication. It's a matter of, you know... Human beings have language, which is something that no other thing has, so far as we can tell. But it's it's obvious that that creatures can communicate. I mean, bees. We've talked about bees many, many times. Good night, double thought. Um, they they have this magnificent way of being able to communicate. And I believe that John Fletcher brought up the other night talking about frequencies and how if a certain bee will get towards another, uh, close to another one, they'll start fighting because it just fucks with the frequency. So I don't know. To me, it's just, what what do you consider communication? And, uh, like, when you mow your lawn, the smell that the grass emits, they say, is, <laughs> is a scent that is meant to tell the other grass, hey, watch out, we're getting fucking cut here. Like, do you, would you consider that communication? I wish the lawn screamed every time you mowed it. <laughs> it does. Every time you smell that beautiful, freshly cut lawn scent that I love so very much, I am literally enjoying inhaling the, the screams of my lawn. Man, you got them Vlad vibes. <laughs> yeah. Vlad the mower. <laughs> <laughs> oh lordy um <laughs> uh, of course there's uh, uh there's other sciences that aren't as enthusiastic about it i think more research should be done which i'm totally about why not let's figure it out figure it fuck out why don't you figure it out hey scientists Figure it out. I, uh, that's all I had on the um, mushrooms. Any uh, final thoughts? Uh, yes. Uh, if they have blue in them in the mushroom, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's psilocybin. So watch out. <laughs> Do it in the name of science. I absolutely hate science. Mm. You don't even have to think about it, dude. You don't even. 
The CDC is like this whole governmental body with scientists and shit that just tell you what to do. You don't even have to think about it, dude. The government is just this government thing that just tells you what to do. You don't even have to think about it, dude. No doubt. Um, Who you told? <laughs> listen, listen, Linda. Um, are you, uh, you want to continue on with a little more of the Kyle Odom manifesto? We can hit that for a little bit. Well, that one worked. What the fuck? That one wasn't so sticky. Mm-mm. No, no sticky for you. No stick for you. All right. So what do you remember about the last uh, last week when we were discussing Mr. Odom and his 100% sane manifesto? Uh, it ended on a high note. I remember that. Um, talking about, I don't know, it was getting weirder and weirder. It was a lot. He so, read a lot of the manifesto. So. so we got this guy who is a self-professed genius. He's got all these transcripts and military he's a records. Hero. Yeah, he's a he's a he's by all standards a a, a decent and highly confident fellow. And uh, he was into meditation and was giving it lots of practice, uh, lots of. Lots of uh, time and effort until one day he cracked something and met uh, a conscious outside of his own during one of his meditations. And it kind of unlocked a part of his brain. But in the course of doing that, he alerted this quote-unquote presence that, uh, that he was tuned in to some capacity, or tuned in. Uh, at some capacity. And he started getting followed. He started getting these uh, weird encounters with strangers on planes. Uh, people suggesting that uh, he could, or that they could read his mind, for example. They made it hard for him to sleep. They made him look like shit for job interviews. Basically, they, they tried to break him. And uh, where we last left off, let me scroll back here, um, he was getting harassed by groups of them in public. And one way that he could tell that it was a group of these quote unquote Martians was, uh, they would like point at him or they would sniff around him. They would, they would, they were taunting him yeah, and they were letting him know that they were watching him. Yeah. And, uh, like Bushi points out, it was in, in my, in my opinion, 100% gang stalking to some degree. Now, whether or not the people that were doing it were human or alien or whether this even happened or not, what he is describing, regardless, is fucking gang stalking. Um, so we, uh, we last left Kyle off in a, um, in a bakery. So one day, and we're reading from the manifesto now. One day, I was in the bakery at Safeway when I got surrounded by a bunch of old men. Some of them looked at me and sniffed, so I knew it was them. They started stimulating my penis and anus simultaneously. Then they spoke aggressively. They said, humans are more are nothing more than the result of a successful genetic experiment. You are a threat to the way these people think, and you can no longer be free in society. Your life is over. You are nothing but a toy. 
Your purpose now is to suck their penis. <laughs> uh, they continue to say... Sex uh, slave. Sex slave, sex slave is what I want to be. <laughs> they continue to say other explicit things that were so obscene I won't repeat them here. Before they finished talking, I became enraged. It took every ounce of willpower I had not to kill them. I left the store and tried to calm down, but it only got worse. The rest of the night, they continually stimulated my penis, and I couldn't stop ejaculating. It got to the point where I was in serious pain. Jesus. Have you ever had that happen to you? I have. No good. It's no good for nobody. Enough is enough sometimes. Oh my god. This one time I was with this one chick for four days. At the end of the fourth day, I was like, I I have to go to work. I have to drink water. (laughs) I'm in pain. Please, please let me go. (laughs) Anyway, please (laughs) get my pen out. I have to drink water. like for four days all i did was have sex and smoke weed it's like oh my god oh, no. I, I thought it was a dream come true and then at the end of the fourth day i was like i am so i'm in so much pain okay anyway please continue they finally stopped after i broke down and became completely distraught i knew i couldn't take it anymore so i attempted suicide i filled a charcoal grill with lit coals put it in my car and rolled up the windows i reclined my seat laid there calmly, then fell asleep. I should have died, but they woke me up in an extreme panic, which caused me to get out of the car. As I slowly regained consciousness, I felt very upset to still be alive. I had no clue where to go at that point, so I decided to check myself into the VA. They shipped me straight into the mental ward, when I, and I was admitted. Nothing improved while I was there. The medication they gave me did absolutely nothing. I just sat there surrounded by a bunch of psychotic people and became exasperated. I knew their goal was to ruin my life by making me into a crazy person. I became determined not to let that happen, and I started fighting back. After leaving the VA, everything I tried to do with my life was sabotaged. They didn't want me dead, but they also weren't going to let me live. In desperation, I went back to the altar to ask them what they wanted from me. I didn't know what else to do. And then it it looks like it's a note here in parentheses. Before I tell you their reply, I need to make an important caveat here. I had endured so much abuse by this time that I was numb to them. The details of what uh, what they've done to me aren't essential to the story, so I won't include them here. If you want to know more of what I've been through, or more about them, write me. I've uh, just realized I've been tortured more than a POW. I'm curious if uh, if this Kyle has been rehabilitated at this point. I'm, I'm also curious when he is released. Or when he gets released. Yeah, he should know that. In the green room, Bully Steed. I see Bully Steed's in the chat. I'm going to have to... Hmm. That's one thing I haven't seen anywhere is... Uh, when he gets released, I don't know how long he was thrown away for. I'll have to circle back on that. <clears throat> uh, but continuing on. 
uh, at the altar when he went back to the church where Tim Remington, the, the a pastor that he shot, was a, uh, he preached there. Their response was, we want you as our sex slave. Thinking they were serious, I, was, I sat there waiting for them to do something. All they said was, keep coming to church. So I did. After a few more services, I found myself talking to Tim Remington face to face. He was telling me that I should consider becoming a minister. We were mid, we were in mid conversation when he sub- suddenly relieved. Excuse, stick that back. We were in mid conversation when he suddenly revealed himself to me. I have no clue how he did it, but it looked as if his human face became his real face. It only happened for one to two seconds, but I was able to draw a sketch of what I saw. His eyes really stood out, so they captured my attention. They were huge and bulging. The eyelids were darker green, and the irises were yellow-brown with slit pupils. After witnessing this, nothing else happened. I continued attending the altar for a few more services, waiting for them to do something. They did nothing except for uh, tell me to submit and surrender. I had no clue what they meant, so I left the church and never went back. And you've seen the, um, the renderings of these alleged Martians at this point, right? The They're, renderings? Yeah. In the show notes last week? Uh, it, it's in the manifesto. I have the manifesto linked again. Um, um, no, but uh, at the very bottom, or, let's see if there's an easy way to get a snapshot here. All right, let's see here. But uh, yeah, he's got these, um, he just drew them in a notebook, like a lined uh, college composition notebook. But uh, he did a, Pretty interesting uh, rendition of these Martians. They look very frog-like in nature. Hmm. Frog-like. Very cool. I, I, it's going to take me too long to find it, but I will find it uh, later. Uh, I know I had it somewhere. Somewhere. Well, well uh, we probably shouldn't spend too much time on it. Yeah. After leaving the, uh, so August 2015 to present time, after leaving the altar, they gave me some breathing room. They held back on their harassment and I began to recover. I decided to make one final attempt at a normal life by pursuing a career as a pharmacist. I started taking classes at NIC to finish up the prereqs that I needed. I also started volunteering at a local pharmacy. Unfortunately, they followed me to school. There were several of them in every class I took. They made it impossible for me to study, and they continually harassed me, especially while I took tests. Even with all this going on, I somehow managed to get an A- and A&P during the fall semester. Sadly, my success was short-lived. The pressure this semester, spring 2016, is far too intense. Every time I go to class, they start manipulating my brain until I go into a blind rage. Sometimes they suppress my brain until I begin to black out. They also manipulate my heart rate and flood my body with adrenaline over and over again, making me extremely uncomfortable. The females stimulate my penis when they are close, and the males stimulate my anus. It's incredibly exhausting. I struggle to pass my test. Yeah, Yeah, and like, imagine taking this to anybody, and being like, hey, so I got this problem. (laughs) That's that's what sucks. Like, in, in the world where... This actually could, where if this did happen to somebody, in a world where this happened to somebody, there's nothing they could do. No. There's nowhere they could go where they wouldn't be called crazy. 
schizo, take your meds. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 general. It's genuinely horrifying hmm. uh, to be in a position like yeah, this and and not having any recourse or any like just fucking solace to turn to because you're just you're fucking you need to go to the loony bin <laughs> uh also you take your meds good so lavish i just dropped the uh, i i knew i had the image i just had to figure out which folder it's in but i just uh dropped it in the green room oh. there oh this Can looks I- like uh a gourd or a uh looks like um and it looks like images from like the old some old uh, African tribes and the art they had and like the the fashion that they had, mm-hmm. and like elongating the skull, and that sort of thing. And the super super enlarged eyes. Hey guys, big head. But I don't like think I don't think he looks ever like specifically said that they looked reptilian. I, we'll have to. Uh, see at a later date when he goes into more descriptions on the actual Martians, but from what I remember, I think he only really refers to them as amphibian-like. Um, maybe he called the smell reptilian because, like, it was a, the mix of uh, vinegar and reptiles. Yeah, that's the that's the similar smell that Schneider talked about. Uh, Bill Schneider, the the underground, deep underground military yeah. base guy. Got shot up by aliens. When he encountered those aliens and he shot them and they shot him, uh, it smelled like shit. He said it smelled like vinegar and, and ass. Wow. I know turtles smell pretty fucking rank. First hand experience, so. They, uh, well, they wallow in their own filth. I mean, they have a different sort of thing. And honestly, I've heard stories of guys uh, who work on submarines. And they live on the submarine, you know, for months at a time, and they or weeks at a time, let's say. And they're underground, and they breathe in only filtered air, right? Mm-hmm. And when they surface again after a couple of weeks or months uh, below the sea, they come up and they realize that our air smells like shit. <laughs> it's only because we're fucking used to it. We live in it, but we <laughs> don't smell it. <laughs> Damn. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I need to get a big old fucker and boom, 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 Consider that another huge L in the book. All right. <laughs> yeah, we go down to the aliens. We're like, this smells like shit, and they're like, you smell like shit. <laughs> imagine being, imagine being me in my position with fourteen noses all over my body, and you want to tell me that I smell like shit. <laughs> Hey, man, I can smell you with my tongue, okay? So don't fucking come to me. I can smell what's in your fucking stomach, son. I know what you had for breakfast for the past four days. And I'm telling you what, (laughs) you need need to get more than Pop-Tarts in that son of a bitch. Yeah, you need more vegetables, (laughs) you're going to be a freaking diabetic, okay? Oh, and by the way, blam, laser, (laughs) dead. Pew, pew. (laughs) (laughs) I like this drawing. It's a good drawing. Yeah, I, I I felt it would be important to just, you know, set more of the mind frame here. Uh, we'll uh, continue on here. Sadly, my success was... Uh, I'm sorry. I struggled to pass my test, so they couldn't blame this on me. 
failing out of school. I want to continue, but I simply cannot. Every moment I spend in the classroom is absolute torture. The classes themselves are extremely difficult without all this added pressure. The worst part is I received an interview for ISU's pharmacy program. Since I cannot continue with the classes, there is no reason to go to the interview. My chance at a normal life has been ruined. They've also been depriving me of sleep, so I don't have the strength to continue. I was too smart for my own good, so they decided to remove me from society. They were worried I might change the way other people think, which could lead to problems. Problems in the form of scientific revolutions. If we get much smarter as a species, we're going to become a threat to their existence. If you talk to me in person, you will see that I am not crazy at all. The Martians are just so good at hiding in plain sight that no one would know they exist unless they revealed themselves. They are able to fool us so well that what I'm saying sounds impossible. However, they are 100% real. Realize their technology is millions of years more advanced than ours. Think about that for a second. Think about the advancement we made in the last hundred years. Once you do that, try to imagine what millions of years of technology would look like. The president <laughs> is well aware of them. <laughs> of course. Well, that goes without saying. He doesn't even need to say that. Come on. Uh, there has to be a communication, if if that is the case. And, you know, it, it makes me think they've probably they've probably got at least travel between within our solar system figured out, so they can they can go back and forth between the planets at will, and they've probably had a base on Mars forever, or maybe. Maybe maybe we were on Mars to begin with, and then they fucked Mars up, and they came over here. That's why they've got all those those structures on Mars that they're always talking about, the face on Mars and the pyramid and all of that that correlates. And there's nothing that won't convince me that other people traveled from some far-off fuck-all place and then went to Mars and then came to here. That's possible. Yeah. I, I think it's more possible that some life form has been within the solar system on one planet or another for millions of years. Easy. They were around a long time enough to figure out at least interplanetary travel and, and were able to figure out a way to sustain themselves for as long as they have. And we are in that event, if that's the case, then we are most likely a science experiment (laughs) or something, or maybe we're just that we naturally evolved along the same lines and we happen to be, just on the path. But yeah, I mean that it doesn't seem, I mean, it seems wild and crazy and ludicrous. Yes, it does. You know, first thought, but thinking about the fact that we live in a giant Petri dish makes me want to pay my taxes less. Doesn't it? This is the way. (laughs) Well, you gotta, you gotta do it or else they'll do you in like old Bill Cooper. We'll shoot you in your fucking driveway. Uh, this is true. It's unconstitutional, but you know what? So is everything else. We, when you're talking about uh, advancement, talking about how quickly we've advanced in the last 100 years, you know, I, I read all the stuff on the Civil War. And now I'm reading about this Rockefeller. I'm reading. I'm reading about David Rockefeller. I'm reading about the Standard Oil Company. I'm finally ripping into this book, and it's it's crazy how all of that happened on the heels of the Civil War. And that a lot of the guys that were actually kind of running the show were generals and stuff from the Civil War. They were so famous that all of the railroads 
uh, would bring them on as their president or you know board members or whatever. And so it, it starts just, there. I mean, a lot of it does. And and the the petroleum industry really really got going in the 1860s. By the 1870s, it was in full swing, just out of nowhere. I mean, it went from being nothing, a totally speculative thing, uh, to within 10, 15 years being a, a massive industry, one of the top exports of the country. And that was before it was even really put to use. I mean, that that was back when it was just like lamp oil. <laughs> you know? And then they built everything else and, you know, on the, out of that. But it's crazy how much just that one discovery, just that one thing, and then reading about these guys, they were all young guys. It reminded me a lot of, of uh, the tech world, Silicon Valley. And just it just happens over and over again. Young guys and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Young people, they, they get into something and they figure it out before anyone else does. They're on the, they're on the cutting edge of it. And then they have that for the rest of their lives to ride on. <laughs> Well, not even the rest of their lives, but, you know, their children's children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all these things that we take for granted as, like, old man stuff really was started when they were young and had all of this fire and all this uh, energy to do it and, the you know, just had their their uh, ear to the ground, as it were. It, it's, it's fucking fun. Me re- I'm reading uh, The History of Standard Oil by uh, Ida... Eternal, I think is her name. Ida Eternal. Gotta make sure. Turnbull. Tarbell. Ida Tarbell. Uh, It was written in 1902. And it's really interesting because they they owned up to everything. Just about. Uh, from, From the minute the Standard Oil Company was conceived, they have been under investigation by the federal government. Because they've always been shit kickers. And they've always been fucking, fucking things up and screwing people over in massive, massive scale. No doubt. Um, we're uh, yeah, we got two pages left on this bad boy. If that, uh, oh, let's I see. mean, you're not gonna read all that, are you? We, we're, we're running out of time here. No, yeah. it's let me finish. Let me finish. Uh, the president is well aware of them, which is why I wrote him a personal letter. I hope he does something about it. I have n- it. Uh, I have done nothing wrong to deserve what's happened to me. I tried literally everything to find a job, and they sabotaged me at every corner. Initially, I thought the right thing to do was to kill myself, and after attempting suicide twice, it became clear they go- they were not going to let me die easy. My last resort was to take action to bring this to the public's attention. I hope something good comes of it. Just realize that I'm a good person. And I'm completely innocent. Also realize the people that I killed are not what you think. Read Martian technology to understand. And then he's got four points here. To make it very clear, Tim and John were not wild human beings. Wild humans equal normal people like you and I. Tim and John equals minds were, uh, minds were controlled from birth by Martians. It's hard to imagine, I know. Nonetheless, it's all true. Why would I give up a career as a pharmacist to do this? I left out many details from my story. I wanted to write out only the most critical events in order to make it coherent. If you want to know more, like I how, like how I discovered there are multiple species of them, feel free to write me. That's it. Oh, that's not two pages. It's it, like three sentences. 
Uh, physically, there was two pages left. Oh, I, I, I thought you meant like two pages. No. Oh, that was nothing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry. If I had known, I would have never sassed you like that. I'm so sorry. Uh, um, sorry, you go. No, no, you go. There is uh, other things featured in this uh, that got us to page 12 of 43 in this version. Uh, but a lot of that is the transcripts featured at the end, his military records, so on and so forth. Um, other things that are included in this is question and answer section, his letter to the president, uh, noteworthy Martians. He's got a big list of them. We got senators, House of Representatives, Israeli oh leadership. God. Yeah. Is there any, are there any names that stick out right away? Can you shout out? Uh, Mitch McConnell's on there. <laughs> Bill Cassidy, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, no way. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren and Mitch McConnell are Martians? That yeah. would make a lot of sense. Uh, let's see here. Mitch McConnell already looks like a turtle. And it, granted, I'm not going to know every every uh, person on this list because I'm ignorant. Just anyone that stands out. Uh, Pelosi's on here. Devin Nunes. Mm. That was representatives. Israeli leadership. Uh, Is Nanu Nanu on there? <laughs> Let me see. Nanu, no. Benjamin Netanyahu. Oh, no, I didn't see him. Uh, I guess, was he in office in 2016? I guess so. Of course. He was... Uh, he was- King of Israel at the time. Yeah. Um. So there's still a big, big chunk of this. It gets uh, left to go. Uh, I don't know if we want to step away from this for a little bit. I don't know if you're bored with it. But we got more things like early civilization in the Bible, our plights, uh, Martian brain and behavior, origins part in, one. In the manifesto? Mm-hmm. These yeah, are I mean... Different we'll, sections. We'll definitely bring, yeah. We just uh, on the next show. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. This is all really good stuff. This thing is is a gold mine. Yeah, cool. I, I am not bored with this at all. It's uh, especially now that I know that there's people in Congress who are Martians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got a couple of quotes from uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. We are going to have. Uh, we are going to have peace, even if we have to fight for it. Eisenhower was a Martian? <laughs> I I didn't see Eisenhower in the list. He, okay, he just quotes Eisenhower here. He's also got a JFK. Peace is a daily, a weekly, a monthly process, gradually changing our opinions, slowly eroding old barriers, quietly building new structures. Mm. I don't like that quote. That's a politician's JFK. quote. Yeah. I don't like that. They're, Dumb. I think they're two of my favorite presidents, Eisenhower mm-hmm. and JFK. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't disagree there. I just didn't like that quote. <laughs> oh, you didn't like the quote? No, it's dumb. <laughs> oh, I thought you said you did like. No, the quote. no, no, no. I don't like it. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it is. It's very schmarmy politicianing. Yes. Uh, that's uh, that's all I got. That's it. My load Beautiful. has been bloweneth. You've blown two loads tonight so far. Yeah, it's uh, not starting to hurt yet. Well, hopefully we'll get a third and fourth out of you. Mm, what I don't have for you is a third and fourth voicemail, because no one else called. 
Well, if you would like to call, uh, you could be considered a producer on the show, since we are a value-for-value value show. You give us a call at 612-263-7999. We'd like to hear your beautiful voices. Uh, and if not, if you're just relaxing, enjoying your Monday, well, then that's fine, too. Time is part of it as well. So uh, if you're just so much as listening to the show right now on this beautiful Monday evening, then uh, you're a producer. So thanks for, pro- thanks for producing episode 93 of Behind the Schemes. Lavish, do you mind if I lube them up a little bit? I would insist that you loop them up a lot. We told you who was behind the schemes, but you'll never know who's behind the screens. Call our creep phone now and leave a screen mail. We'll play it on the show. 612-263-SXY. That's 612-263-7999. The best part of waking up is not giving up fuck. You could be like bags right there. Call that number, 612-263-7999. Boo! We love you, bags. And we love you, Sir Spencer. Yes. Yes. Uh, good, uh, great news. Great news this past, uh, this Passover. <laughs> yes. This, Finally. It has passed. Over. Excited for you, bro. Can't wait till your dick feels better. And your innards by your by your penis. Yes, I'm glad that your urethra is feeling better. And, oh, there uh, we go. Shit, let's turn you. down. Yes, we love you. We're uh, we're glad to hear that uh, you are on the mint now. Good yeah. shit. Yeah. Um, intermission time. I like Pop this. that in that golden VCR. I will. I think it's going to be quite lovely. Did the keeper make this one? Nah, just just me. Yeah, booberry, a booberry especial. Try 
delusions Destroy delusions Destroy delusions Have no fear To tell you the truth, Luke, your father was a dick Always defying orders, always putting our lives in danger Hell, he even tried to have sex with his apprentice a few times, but when he got caught, he acted like we were crazy. That would have been fine had he not done the same thing with your mom. Yes, that's right, he got married behind the Jedi Council's back and thought we were stupid enough to not notice it. Every time I would try to bring it up, he would call me a fag and throw a tantrum. Then he started going crazy after a few bad dreams. Killed Dooku, which I'm pretty sure is a war crime. Killed Mace Windu and even some fucking kids. When his wife and I tried to talk him down, he goes crazy and chokes her out like a fucking lunatic. I kept trying to talk to him, but he started babbling slogans at me. So, I let him have it. Thirteen years of pent-up rage and frustration. Thirteen years of dealing with backtalk from a kid you rescued from slavery. I went all out. I told him it was the high ground, but from a certain point of view, that was bullshit. I just wanted to cut his limbs and watch him writhe in pain. To suffer like I suffered while dealing with his bullshit for 13 years. I even told him I loved him like a brother just to add salt to his burning wounds. Go on. Ask me if I regret it. I don't. Anyway, after that I left and he became a cyborg mass murderer. He was a piece of shit then and a piece of shit now. And he was a good friend. You know, after we get the record done, say, well, we're gonna get shit for this one and <laughs> this one's gonna get us in trouble, but... Cool, that'll be the first one we play. <laughs> We've learned to ignore that. If, if you ignore them, they'll go away. And then the ones that you can't ignore, you, you listen to them and then you tell them to fuck off. Really no need to reply or respond. We know what kind of band we are. We know what we like to write. And if, if you can't understand it or deal with it, shut up and don't listen to our records. Yeah, exactly. Don't listen. Yeah. You know, tune off. <laughs> So have you ever done DMT? Start there, right where that blue tape is. We need a focus mark. Are you looking for a great profession? And they have to do. You hired them for half a day. Start from one, say the words that you wrote, and walk and walk, and they'll follow you with the camera. Go. Lights, camera, naps, and tripods, too. It's the director's cut to start listing what we want to put thoughts on film and cassette. No cards or hard drives, because it wasn't out yet. So big, get a pen or open the app that lets you tap out. The titles are yappa, because the preview's over and the curtain's drawn. It's time for the feature presentation. Shakes the clown and Putney Swope. Clifford, Billy Madison, Uncle Buck, 2010, 2001, Blade Runner, Polyester. Forbidden Zone and Pink Flamingos. Star Trek, Star Wars, the Transformers, both Ghostbusters and Back to the Future. Parts 1 to 3, you and Tiffany T, the day the Earth stood still and Mac and me. Goonies, Raiders, Terminators, Run, Ronnie, Run, Brain Candy, the one. Total Recall, Robocop, Karate Kid, Going Berserk, Delirious, and the Jerk. Akira, Metropolis, do the right thing. Big Ferris Bueller, House Party, Rush, more, both short circuits, and the man with two brains. Dude, there's too many to fit in this frame. Film teaching me a lesson as it flips by 24 frames a second. One of the biggest things that ever made an impression on this director's cut, you can see my direction. 
film teaching me a lesson as it flips by 24 frames a second one of the biggest things that ever made an impression on this director's cut you can see my direction it started with kubrick a clockwork orange cinemax late night man three in the morning full metal jacket and barry linden then 2001 was the one i had to see again first corsese picture i perused was the color of money starring newman and cruz taxi driver raging bull mean streets and prime means for good fellas which blew my mind 1989 man a number spike lee do the right thing hitting summer with pe's fight the power in my brain spike came along rewrote the whole game last tango in paris bernardo bertolucci changed what i thought was possible with the movie the last emperor and then 1900 films on vhs anything that i wanted john mctiernan was an action maestro hitch gave me vertigo northwest and psycho john singleton with boys in the hood don siegel with dirty harry clint eastwood high planes drifter and unforgiven sergio leone had a singular vision once upon a time in the west and america let it wash over me as i sit and stare at the screen film teaching me a lesson as it flips by 24 frames a second one of the biggest things that ever made an impression on this director's cut you can see my direction film teaching me a lesson as it flips by 24 frames a second one of the biggest things that ever made an impression on this director's cut you can see my direction i don't like commercials you got five minutes to shoot this scene and then we have to leave your five minutes to do it perfectly Mommy Milkers, O.J. Simpson, Social Credit Deducted. Times and game are times and you know there are other... Although she was in 2002...
Welcome back to the second second half of show for Behind the Schemes, episode 93. 93 for you and me. Yes, we're getting up there, man. We're getting up there. (laughs) It won't be long. We've got some some plans uh, in the works here. We have, for example, episode 101, which will be live after no agenda on, let's check the schedule real quick. I believe it's June 12th, if I'm not mistaken. June 12th, that's not, that seems right. So yeah, on June 12th, we'll be having episode 101, uh, After No Agenda. We'll be having episode 100, of course, on 666. That's June 6th, 2022. How crazy is that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll Pretty just, cool. Let's stop and smell the roses there for a second. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing, how sometimes these things work out. And then, uh, not only that, but episode 99, which will be on May 30th, will be the day after my birthday. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it'll be be cool. It'll all be cool. 
having some stuff come up, and I think we get some good guests on here. Yeah, Lavish and I have, uh, we kind of had a conversation uh, last week during the post-show production, Um, but we're going to start looking into getting some people to guest on the show. Of course, we had uh, Steven Spielberg last week, which was wholly phenomenal. I mean, I... That was a big one. Yeah. (laughs) Way to kick off the year. Steven Spielberg. Very cool. Yes, very cool, very incredibly legal. Um, and then uh, Sir Sir Seatsitter jumped in for the uh, second half of the show, uh, which was a pleasant surprise. Sir Seatsitter of Abs and a Six Pack fame, who is no slouch when it comes to getting guests himself. And uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm not sure who it's going to be yet, but uh, we're we're going to look into it. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen, and I'm oh, very yeah. excited. Oh, cool. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, this is a value-for-value value production, which means we don't have any ads, we don't have any corporate sponsors of any kind, we only uh, are publicly supported. We, we are publicly supported radio, which is the way that it really it ought to be if you want to get the real deal, if you want to get the actual information and not have some uh, curtailed, uh, curated bullshit that's basically a commercial. Whenever you try to sell you shit. <laughs> we're we're all all facts based. well not facts but we're we're not we're not trying to sell you anything how about that imagine uh, if we took a break to shill for big macaroni right now yeah or some pillow company or something we don't you know some dumb ad or even and like it, even if we were like pill pushers we could we could do that we could push all the weird that's a whole like subgenre of podcasting advertising all of the weird uh alternative medicine stuff is to be rooted in there, you know, and people have come up to me and they're like, you know, you could do that. You could just get some ads, make a little dough. It's not the point (laughs) point. Isn't it's not about the money. It's about sending a message. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) You see their magic. Being all magical. That's right. How do you how do you stop it? Uh, but anyway, we would really like to thank the people who do come in and provide value for us in all manner of ways, uh, financially or otherwise. We we like to thank those people on the air. They are the producers of episode ninety three. Do you do you want to kick us off? Uh yeah, let me find the I need to get back to the Zoso substack real quick so I can do that. Um here I am. Here I am. So, kicking us off, uh we call uh, those who give us financial contributions lovingly freaks of hazards because they are freakishly hazardous in how amazing they are. Coffee Von Dust Bubble came through with their monthly PayPal donation of $3.33. Thank you very much yes, for the continued support. And Coffee's been sending me a bunch of music uh, that i got to compile, and I, I think I'm going to make a playlist out of it. we we'll use it for nice. a pre-show. Yeah, a lot of punk rock stuff. Ah, very also, legal. That's also awesome producing. That's, that's just as good as anything else. Uh, and, and But it's awesome that you consistently do with the monthly donation. You know, it's... It, it helps us a lot. It's we, We've recently done some accounting. We figured out that we're able to 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 keep the lights on around here, uh, thanks to the consistent support that we get. And that's awesome. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think Lavish and I are going to have a real long conversation about uh, <laughs> some ideas for peerage. There's some, yes. There's some. Uh, I think there's some fun ethereal ideas out there that we can get into. Yes, we we would really like to to show our appreciation to our producers uh, as much as they they show theirs. So yeah, we we <laughs> seems like we're we're always kind of toying around with ideas for peerages and. And, uh, and, you know, maybe we'll do like a giveaway one of these days soon. Hmm. That can be fun. That'd be cool. We'll, we'll something or other. That'd be fun. Uh, for, for anybody who's, who's produced. Uh, so thank you very much. Kwabi Von Dustbowl. So appreciate it. Also coming in with a monthly donation of $5 and 55 cents is none other than Sir John Fletcher of Hog Story fame. Sir John Fletcher, who, uh, he hosts Hog Story with the lovely Carolyn Blaney every single Monday and Thursday night at around 7 o'clock Central. And uh, tonight, I know that they had a couple hiccups with the show, but I'm sure it was a dynamite show regardless because they are professionals. Yeah. And send a audio karma their way. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But Much love to them. They're also on the Boost Chain train, so you can head over there and nudepodcastapps.com is where you want to go. Start boosting their fun holes. That's right. That's what all the cool kids are doing. <laughs> Gotta they, get on the node action. And, you know, for how... Uh, for when they adopted the boost bot in the IRC and, and just reading the boostograms in general to then turn around and... Uh, I, I know Fountain is just the, the one app, but to place 11th on the Fountain app I just thought that was really cool, really inspiring. You know, just mm-hmm. blowing past all these other Bitcoin podcasts. Yeah, there's a lot of podcasts out there. And one of the amazing things about this community is is that there's there's just a lot going on. You know, it's not it's not uh a cold operation going on around here. This it's happening. There's a reason why people are here. There's good people here. And it's a it's a really Wholesome, awesome, creative, intelligent, and critical uh, community. That's great. A lot of skills around here. And just cool people. Fun people. There's a lot, one thing a that, lot of you know, knowledge. A lot of wisdom. There is. There's a ton of knowledge. And trade knowledge as well. Um, Ooh. Which is just as, just as, I mean, that's as difficult to get as anything else. People who are craftsmen at what they do. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sir John Fletcher, who is actually a, a craftsman himself. He is actually very uh, skilled at uh, instrument repair, and he has a whole litany of incredible instruments that go through his hands, and he posts them. And uh, every now and again, he'll share with me uh, some funky guitar or something somebody came in and botched. He'll be like, hey, Lavish, look at this fucking crazy... <laughs> Guitar that's this piece of wood that someone glued under the bridge and all the shit. It's like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, there's there's been stuff. some real horror shows. <laughs> <laughs> and then the brass too. Just the 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 things that people do to saxophones and Yeah, it looks oh, like man. a crumpled up piece of aluminum foil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been around musicians my whole life and people who play brass, and I can tell you brass is a dirty, dirty instrument. Mm, mm-hmm. Filthy. 
Disgusting. Yes, this is true. Being a former trumpet, trombone, and tuba player. Oh, so you know. Oh, yeah. Especially, you know like... those reeds. Oh, dude. And, like, if the spit just sits there and collects in the actual... Like, if you, if you just... If you play just let it, it go. And you just throw it in the case and throw it in the closet fucking ten years later. You got yourself a uh, a mega mold. Mm. <laughs> um, nom. <laughs> yeah. Let me probe my electrodes into this bad boy. <laughs> yeah. You can definitely make that thing talk. <laughs> yes. Oh, disgusting. Yes, yeah, I've got an uncle who plays just about everything that is made of brass. We've had many conversations, and growing up, he would practice all the time in the in the other room or whatever. And I go hang out with my cousins. He's just always playing, you know. And yeah, it's filthy. It's disgusting. So uh, anyway, check out Fletcher and Carolyn Blaney at Hog Story. Hogstory dot uh, net. Hogstory dot net or dot com. They've got that too, but dot net was first, and honestly, it's pretty catchy. Um, also coming in and producing episode 93 behind the schemes is none other than our good friend, Derek over at double thought dimension.com double thought dimension.com. He also podcast there and he sent in, uh, his, uh, gosh, it's not even a monthly donation. It's like a weekly donation of $3 and 33 cents. And that is super, super generous. And we really appreciate that. And all that's a, uh, to uh, find out for sure, but I think the tentative plan is this coming Saturday, uh, he'll be in St. Paul, and we're going to go, or I'm going to, I'm going to try my damnedest, it depends on what time um, our other show wraps up, but uh, there's a Misfits tribute band playing, mm-hmm. it was the same one that I saw this past October, right before I got knighted. Um, nice. I'm so you're going to... Well, I was just saying I had a killer time last time, and I can't wait to go see them with someone uh, who is also a Misfits fan. Yeah. Because I know I'd double thoughts into them. That would be sick. That would be a lot of fun. You know, I hope you make it out to that. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. It's going to be like a 50-fucking-minute drive, because it's uh, the other side of Minneapolis, um, and work is already... 40 minutes, 35, 40 minutes. So yeah, if you can't do it, you can't do it, but well, you yeah. know, I'm still going to go out there and, and, and catch up with them. Uh, yeah. So we'll see if the band happens, but uh, regardless, yeah. I'm very These excited. So great. Uh, meeting up with people. Is so much fun. Yeah, I've already gotten a bunch of emails about, I, by the way, I never think I ever really talked about my meetup on the show. Did I here? Yeah. No, we didn't. Uh, you briefly brought it up, but, Oh, well, I won't bring up too much. I'll just say I had a meetup in my local neighborhood. About 30 people showed up. It was a great time. And um, I've been getting emails. <laughs> When's the next one? When's the next one? So, Ooh, big yeah. hit. It was a big hit. It was a big hit. Uh, I think next time what I'm going to do, I'll do it in the same location or the same area. But I'll do it on a, maybe a Thursday night or a Friday night or something. Just, just, I'm going to see if I can make it so that John C. Dvorak make it as easy as possible for him to be able to go. Because what I did last time was I hosted it on a Wednesday night. Mm, yeah. And 
even though I like, I literally, cause the, the meetup went all night. I mean, it started at six o'clock my time. We started at a beer bar that closed at 10. We closed that bar down and then we went across the street to the other bar that is open till two. And then we were there until fucking, I was there until about midnight. And then, so I, I did like six hours <laughs> doing this meetup and, um, and we had a great time, but I, I did the report. I ran home and then I, I drunkenly like threw together the, the meetup report then. And I tried to get it in, but it was too late. I did it like three in the morning <laughs> and, uh, and it didn't get in in time. And then I just so happened to give it to the show that when they went away for a week. So it took me a whole week to even hear it in the first place. Uh, yeah, but didn't yeah, Adam botch the state too? He said it was like Concord, Massachusetts or something, right? That's right. He Mass- said Concord, two, two, Concord, two Massachusetts instead of, and that's Concord and we're Concord. <laughs> Concord, California versus Concord, Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, the divided and conquered meetup. It was cool. Nice. I uh, uh they botch everything I send in. I don't think I've ever sent anything into no agenda and they've done it the way I've wanted it to. They've always botched something about it, which isn't their fault. They have to read a million things, you know. But I have to say it, it probably is affecting their bottom line at some point. We have lavish. Could be lavash. Could be lavash, <laughs> but it could be lavish. Yeah. And I send in I sent in the the donations for the meetup and I, Uh-oh. and I sent it as a, as a, this is the conquered meetup donations. And then they not only, and then they, yeah, they didn't, I don't know. The whole thing is just whatever. It doesn't matter. Well, I hope the, um, I hope y'all do another one. I think that would be hella cool. It's finally, I, think I have to, well, most definitely. Um, and it's finally starting to warm up here enough. Well, I say that. And then we get, Six more days of rain and snow. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, uh, but you guys soon. aren't out of the woods yet. But, but soon. There has to be local Minneapolis or St. Paul meetups. Uh, I went to a couple last year. Uh, I think you went to a few. Two or three. But, but I want to host one. I want to host you, one. Well, you definitely should. Yeah. You definitely should host one. Because that way... And by the way, all the people who went to the meetup know about our show now. Ooh, I, well, I, hello, I, everybody. Yeah. Just so you know, promoted it, uh, the hell out of it. And yeah, that's, that's part of the fun too. And they're like, oh yeah, we've heard you. Oh yeah. They get a lot of that now. You're behind the schemes. You go, oh gosh, I've heard of that somewhere. There was a, there was a dude that, um, had heard our, uh, episode with David Weiss. Um, the flat earth episode. He was at the uh, last meetup in Minneapolis that we went to. And he caught the flat earth episode. Yeah. Our most popular episode ever. <laughs> I must step away for a second to deal with the cat that has a bell right outside the door. Oh, get that cat. Get that cat. Yeah, you go ahead. You, you take, I'll, I'll entertain the troops. Uh, the douchebag battle is coming up. Indeed. On April 24th. That's... Oh, gosh. That's next Sunday. So we're going live... After that, we'll actually, Booberry, uh, maybe I shouldn't say without him here, but Booberry uh, will, not be av- will not be around for that one. So we'll have me, Sir Seat Sitter, Carolyn Blaney, and someone else that Sir Seat Sitter's bringing on. I forgot. 
So we'll be doing Battle of the Douchebags then, and then we'll be doing it again on the 22nd of May, but that's later. We'll talk about that later. Um, uh, yeah, the Iris had one of these big carriage bells that I got. I can hear it. Ooh, I'm triggered. <laughs> um, There was uh, one other person I'd like to thank. Uh, he's a daily freak of hazard, always hanging out in the chat room. Servo. I Servo. was able to finally complete the uh, Pepe Tarot deck when it conveniently fell off the back of a truck and I was able to pick it up. But no, there is convenient. a... I know. But there is a mega uh, folder in the show notes titled, It Is Done. We would like to check out all of the cards, but I know that he has been working on updating Gal with her ability to draw tarot cards. And um, we have a full fucking 78 card deck now. Talk about a 10 of cups. Bro, my, it's... My cup, it runneth over, man. Jesus, I love that. We've been waiting for that forever. And, man, like, the the Major Arcana, I was able to find new ones that have these uh, bluish, like, stained glass backgrounds. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. And they're animated, so it just, the whole thing looks really, really tight. Well, um, what I saw, I mean, yeah, they, they're basically better than what we had before. They're like a remastered version. No doubt. Um, so... Glorious. And I know that... Uh, uh, I think Servo's still taking it for test drives, but um, at the very bottom of the show notes, there's a section labeled, Take These, It's Dangerous to Go Alone. I'm going to start doing a meme section. <laughs> we had a couple <laughs> people send in. Uh, Spaz actually made a meme. There's a, um, a, a Joe Biden one and a Jeff Dunham. That's pretty good. I like that. Uh, Pfeiffer had this crazy-ass Jack Parsons 1950s comic uh, illustration, which I loved. Um, yeah. Bags over in the OBDM chat sent me this Mothman, uh, and then Servo with the Principa Discordia. And, uh, but last, he, he's been working out a way to do a Celtic spread for tarot cards mm, for wow. Gal. Yeah. That would be quite neat. That would be very, very advanced, Servo. That'd be awesome, man. And now, now we Bushi in the chat says, "Next up is Yu-Gi-Oh deck, <laughs> <laughs> the Pepe Yu-Gi-Oh deck." I reveal my track card. <laughs> oh, it, it is time to 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 do all. Wait, it should have been me. <laughs> it should have been me. Where's your deck? You mean my deck? My deck? My deck? It's old school team four star reference if uh, anyone's hip to it. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, thank you guys. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Servo. I know that Servo doesn't like it when we say nice things about him, but gosh, what a what a swell fella! And uh, Gal is certainly the hottest spot this side of the or all sides of the internet. Um, yeah, Gal is is quite the bay, as they say around my my town. Uh, Sharky's hip to it. He knows what the fuck is up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sharky, call in to battle the douchebags again. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry that I have to miss that one. I, I fucking double booked and, uh, I got a job show that I have to go do on yeah, Sunday. 
I I double booked my May twenty second, my Battle of the Douchebags four. I have a gig. I'll be playing music that day. Mm. Yep, we fucked up. We fucked up. We're just so busy. We're just so busy. There's only so many days in the week, you know, and in a month. We spend a lot of time entertaining people. Yeah. <laughs> Legit. <laughs> we actually are. Like, not a joke. <laughs> like, yeah, hashtag not a joke. And not, you know, yeah, I'm just going to put it this way, but, you know, it, we get paid, too. Like, that's the, that's the, we're, we're getting paid. Whatever we're going to do that day, we're getting paid to do it. So. We got to get paid. <laughs> we got to get paid. <laughs> that's right nice uh well thank you again to everybody that that uh came out for this edition of behind the schemes we greatly appreciate it it's mm-hmm. what keeps public radio chugging on if you want to get in on the action go over to badradio.live or behind the schemes sch3m3s.com uh, you can shoot me an email at boo at behind the schemes.com and uh did i miss anything uh, you can hit me at lavish at behindtheschemes.com or lavishblast at gmail. And uh, no, I think you got it all. Ooh, everyone donated lavishly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I guess that's uh, that's all I needed. That's all we need. That's all we need to to, to get it going. Sticky Ooh, buttons. Right. Sticky buttons. Piece of shit. You gotta, oh. You gotta gr- Boost that up a little bit. We um, boostograms. What the fuck? Oh, let's hit them boostograms. Oh. So we are podcasting 2.0 compliant. Uh, not only do we have beautiful chapters, not only do we have uh, all of these wonderful things that come with podcasting 2.0, we also have Lightning Node. We have Bitcoin payments. You you don't have to give us money in 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 stupid, boring old dollars. You can use the money of the future. And you can send us like 50 cents of it, and we'll still read you on the air. And thank you. We have, uh, we have a couple of people that came in after Monday uh, from last week. And we, had a, we have a, a at user from uh, Fountain, which I'm going to go ahead and step out on a ledge and say it's none other than Bully Steed, because we had a couple of similar looking boosts all coming in. Um, in a row. So we'll start off with this first one that says, uh, for 500 sats, boost. Boost. And, and then another 500 sats saying, Bully Steed losing her boost cherry. Poor Ooh. Bully Steed has been trying to send us sats so hard. And our node keeps failing and going down. We're so sorry, Dame Bully Steed. She just wants to help. She just wants to be producer. Thank you for the sets. Thank you for what you have, uh, what 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 Booberry just said that you sent. It's really appreciated. I like You're that. Really appreciated. Boost cherry. Yeah, That's cool. Pop the boost cherry. That's cool. Uh, another Pretty thousand nice. sats saying learning to ride this bike. Second half of show. Almond raw. Good stuff. I like the bike riding analogy. Hmm. That's curious. <laughs> Uh, another thousand sats saying Amun Ra second half of show boost. Yeah, Amun Ra. Oh, you know what? Amun Ra going around. Coffee mentioned something to me uh, when I when we were talking on the phone earlier this week, and she was like, "Oh, Amun Ra, Amen. What about Omen? Omen, Omen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Spooky. Yep. It's not that difficult, people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see here. Uh, a thousand sats from Bully Seed. This is the last one that said uh, Amunron Hordorotus lives. And what the fuck happened to the goddamn boost sound? Herodotus. Her- Herodotus. Her- Herodotus. Herodotus. Herodotus lives on. And who's the next one? Think about it. Everybody knows 300. Everybody knows about the Spartan stuff, but nobody knows about him. He wrote that. Uh oh. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, Oh man, the boost went through, says Bully Steed in the chat. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lord. Um, Oh no. A woman. I guess I am blanking on who Herodotus was. Herodotus is the father of history. He lived in the 400s BC, and uh, he he was called by Cicero the father of history. He, he wrote. He was the first guy who, the first pr- person that we have recorded, who systematically, objectively r- recorded history, as opposed to just like I heard from a guy who was right. my cousin. Like he was like, oh no, they had ten thousand here and blah blah blah. And, well, I'm sure. I'm sure for some cultures it was a very strict. Uh, Passing down of the verbal, I guess oh, yeah. history. He, he he owns up that he owns up to saying he either heard or he was there for all the things he wrote about. And I think about eighty percent of it is what he heard. Yeah, but he was alive during the time, and all of the the things that he was talking about, uh, you know, he, were very important events in his country at the time. So, whatever he was bringing up is what they they thought as a society then. So it might as well have been the truth. Because <laughs> it has just as much imp- as much importance. And as Willie Steed says, and the reason why I brought him up at all was because he claims to have visited Babylon. Um, oh, he, okay. He, he visited Babylon around 450 BC, and he writes about it, and he talks about it. So it's, a, it's an actual account of a, of a person who you know, really went there and wrote about it. Because as you as you brought up on on that show, there's a lot of debate as to whether Babylon even really existed, or if it, it was as grand as people said it was. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, is it you know they they had to go and dig it up. <laughs> they they lost it for a bit. It's so old, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's definitely been around. I mean, Alexander the Great was said to have died there. And and around the time of Alexander the Great, Babylon was still the great city in the east. So it definitely existed. Um, but yeah, Herodotus, he's great. Yeah, and everybody, like I said, knows 300. And he's the guy who fucking wrote that down. The whole Persian, he's all about the Persian Greek Empire under Xerxes. There was a time in the four, the 450s BC where Persia made a huge push into Greece and tried to conquer. And at the time... Greece really was just a, a series of city-states that were allied to, to one another. So if they wanted to fight together as a nation, then they had to kind of work together, and that didn't really always happen. Um, and he talks about the, the politics of all of that, the intricacies of all of that, of all that complexity. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Thank you very much, Blue Steve, for bringing up Herodotus again. I'd like to do that. I, we're, we're fans of history around here. At least I am. 
the next one came in from, well, we hit this at the beginning of the show, but fuck it. Uh, was 333 sats using Boo CLI saying doot. doot. Yeah, from Servo. Yep. Doot. Indeed, we dooted. And uh, let's see here. Last was Net Ned using Fountain saying 33, or with 3369 sats saying lavish, lavash, Lagrange meetups boost. <laughs> Thank you, Sir Net Ned. Oh, man. I miss that guy. I haven't seen him in, in the green room lately, but I uh, hope he's well. Oh, show him soon enough. my goodness. What happened? Servo just uh, told me to do an exclamation draw Celtic, and I'm looking at this magnificent oh my God. spread. Oh, he my God. It. By oh. God, he did it. In the current situation, I am the inverted devil. The blockage is the four of wands, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving towards, or my crown, would be a reversed ace of wands. Wow, a lot of reversals. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of reversals here. Wow, the root or the ground I stand upon is the reverse three of swords. In my past is the empress. Immediate future. Uh, let's see. There. Uh, six of... Six, of, Six cups. of cups. That's good. That's a good future to have. Yeah. Your self-image or influences is the reversed uh, seven of wands, which is cool. How others see you is the reversed high priestess. Yeah. And then your guidance, or also known as your greatest hope or your greatest fear, is the two of swords, blindness under the moon. And then, oh, your conclusion mm-hmm. card, the king, king of, of wands. wands. Yeah. Not bad, not bad. I, I can I dig like that. it. Wow. Cool. That is this super is... cool, Servo. You son Ooh. of a bitch. You're going to send me into a panic attack how cool this is. <laughs> yeah. Servo knows he's the man. That's fucking awesome, dude. Thank you, dude. I, I, I swear to God, I cannot believe they won't let me into Canada. They just won't let me in. I want to. There's two people in Canada I really want to have a beer with, and they won't let me in. So. I'm going to go see a show. Uh, I'm going to go see uh, Snarky Puppy with Steely Dan. Oh. Or Steely Dan with Snarky Puppy very soon. Wow. And uh, those two individuals in Canada, they'd be the perfect individuals to go with me to that show. But uh, anyway, one day. I don't want to stay there, Servo. I think of Canada the same way I think of New York. I, I come for a week, I have a good time, I get in trouble, and then I leave. Yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> Snarky okay, puppy so Tootsie, t- I, oh, I thought the same thing. I thought Lavish said Skinny Puppy was going to be Skinny Puppy was going to be opening for Steely Dan, which is like a they're like a thrash industrial band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a Nine Inch Nails cover band or something. I was like, wow, that's quite the mashup. <laughs> quite the deal. Oh, fuck. Ah, <laughs> uh, beauty. Beauty, well, eh? That spread's amazing. I'm so excited to try this out. Thank you to all of our boosters. Newpodcastapps.com. Uh, get in there. Get Abel Kirby to say, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sounds like you'd... Well, shall I get into my business? Let's do it. All right. Well, as you know, I'm a pretty seasonal guy. You know that, Booberry. I get into the holidays pretty hard. Uh, maybe not 
in real life, but certainly on the podcast, whenever there's a holiday coming around, I, I tend to, I tend to talk about it. I like holidays. I like the origins of holidays. It ties into the history. Um, there are certain things, as you well know, certain rituals, certain things that people do. They don't really know why they do it. They just, the people have always done it that way. Yeah, so it's always been the way we've done things. It's always been the way we've done things. Uh, you know, we don't really get it. We don't, you know, why, why is there a bunny in Easter? Whatever. Cause Christians. Cool. Um, there's certain origins of certain things that go so far back that we can really only speculate and we can throw the old, ah, uh, they were just worshiping the sun God thing that we always throw at stuff. Um, but when it comes to Easter, and as everybody may or may not recall with Easter, the whole point that we celebrate, the reason why we celebrate Easter on the surface is because uh, they killed a dude in Jerusalem. And then three days later, allegedly that guy came back, said hi to about five people, and then was like deuces and then went to heaven. And everybody was like, wow, that's great. It sort of is a, I mean, you can tell that it's really about springtime and it's about fertility and you can, you can relate it to that. But on the surface, that's what it's about. It's about the crucifixion of Christ. And what I found out is that the crucifixion itself, which is something that we know everybody's very familiar with the cross or the crucifix, because of Christ. But how far back does crucifying people go? How long have they been crucified? What who came up with the idea to crucify somebody? Which in and of itself is a horrible way to die. It's the worst way to die. And what I found with doing the little research is that this was literally the worst punishment that the Romans could give somebody. The Romans in their time, made crucifixion uh, very popular. And they did it all over their empire. But they didn't do it to their own people. They would only crucify enemies or pagans or traitors or whatever. But if you were a Roman citizen, which was a big deal, you know, it's like being a Roman citizen is like you've got the golden ticket. Uh, you you are not allowed to be crucified because it's such a horrendous way to punish people. But I also found out that you don't even really have to... They, they do that to you and they torture you, but but they try to keep you alive on the cross, you know? Anyway, uh, I found some stuff on it. It was uh, very interesting. Uh, please, if you will, pull up the clips. Uh, I think we can start with Crucifixion 1, Origins. Crucifixion is a lot older than the New Testament. It dates back to the dawn of civilization. Some scholars believe it was invented primarily as a ritual of death, designed to raise a condemned man physically above the earth during execution. The ancients believed the earth itself was a living deity that must not be contaminated by the evil touch of a wrongdoer. This was a time when early man believed nature was driven and controlled by powerful gods. Crucifixion satisfied a primitive religious necessity not to contaminate Holy Mother Earth, 
with the unholy blood of the condemned man. This desire became ritualized into an execution method that survived for thousands of years. So over a period of time, these kind of primitive beliefs would have become sort of codified and rationalized. This gives us an insight into rituals of death. Often the underlying reason for a ritual becomes lost and forgotten until all that remains is the ritual itself. Over hundreds of years, crucifixion lost its spiritual significance and became solely an instrument of punishment and execution, primarily in the ancient East. It was discovered in Persia by Alexander the Great in the 4th century BC, and he brought it back into Europe. Alexander the Great seems to have brought it back from the East, but it was the Romans who really um, employed this method big time. Wow. I, not to sound overdramatic, but I definitely felt a certain chill when they sat there describing the... They felt that the Earth was a deity and the wicked doer shouldn't have any contact with her when they uh, when they pass. That's a uh, that's hardcore. <laughs> I had never heard that about crucifixion. I'd never ever. You've never heard that before, right? Like, no. It's it, but I mean, it makes sense, I guess, but. It's astounding that that concept has never come up when we talk about crucifixion, which is such a well-known thing. Yeah, you, the tainted blood can't touch the pure Mother Earth because in their minds, the harvest and, and all of that was just so important to their way of life that they couldn't contaminate the ground in any way because it might, it might spell disaster for them down the road. So... The and idea that it was good. There was one quick question. Um, so Alexander the Great brought it back to Europe from where? From uh, Persia. Persia. Okay. Yeah. Yes, Persia was the Persia and Greece have always been the two major empires. Persia is really the remnant of the Babylonian Empire. Um, it's the it's where Iran and Iraq are now, and. It was the major power in that part of the world. And then there are all these sort of tribal tribal um, <clears throat> nations that are all around it. And you hear certain famous nations that the Greeks would go to war with that just perpetually for hundreds of years and never won uh, uh, ultimate victory over. Like uh, Parthus, uh, for example, is, is one of the great nations far away in the east that they just could never fucking conquer. And and they Greece and Rome sent people there to try and take it, and they never could. But Persia was the great, the great thing, and they had this crucifixion uh, practice. And the idea is, I guess Alexander, who went all the way over there, conquered all those territories, he learned about this, and he went, you know, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> and he added it to his Pinterest. <laughs> this guy picked things up wherever he went. And you see that with all of the great conquerors. You see that with Geng uh, Genghis Khan, or Genghis Khan. When he started out, he didn't have siege weaponry. And he wasn't able to take cities easily. The only way that he could take cities in the beginning is by camping out around them for half a year. <laughs> and wasting time and resources trying to take the city. Uh, siege of a city has always been the, the Parthians. 
Parthians. Uh, thank you, Tier 2. Um, they, yeah, and then they learned. They got these Chinese engineers who taught them how to build siege warfare, and then they, you know, they went on from there, conquer the world. So these guys, they pick stuff up wherever they go. And what if they're smart? They, uh, Gungus Khan, according to Bushi <laughs> Gungus Khan, thank you, sir. The great Gungus, the mighty Gungus. Uh, so I think the reason, oh, maybe maybe this next clip, let me just check real quick. I don't really think the next clip goes into it, but the idea is that the Romans and the Greeks, and with Alexander the Great, this especially makes sense because you have such a tiny country controlling such a massive swath of the planet, right? And you you have this foreign thing that's that's ruling all these different entities. And what's integral to your power and to keeping that empire is that people don't revolt. You know, you're 500 miles away and these people go, fuck this. We're not going to pay taxes to these guys anymore. If they want to fucking, if they want their money, they can come and get it, right? You don't want your little nations that you've controlled to do that. Same thing happened with Genghis Khan. So what you do, and especially with Rome, Rome were the guys that perfected this, are the greatest ever at going around and conquering everybody and making everybody pay heel because they used things like crucifixion that would terrify people. And it wasn't about the crime fitting the punishment fitting the crime. It was about, you know, if you screw up, if you commit any crime whatsoever, we are going to ruin you. We're going to kill you in the most painful way possible. And that was a huge way to keep people in line. And the Romans understood that and they utilized it. And with something specifically like with Judea, you're talking about the in the time of of Christ. You're talking about between. I mean, the most of the New Testament takes place between obviously, like two A.D. and about eighty A.D. And during that time, Rome was in charge of this plot they called Judea, and that's what they had to do to fight against these religious zealots. And Jesus wasn't the only one. There were all of these sects of Judaism sects <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh that were vying for this sort of messianic goal that they were trying to they were trying to accomplish the prophecies of the old testament there they were militant they were trying to relive the old days of david when they were a great powerful independent nation and uh and they wanted to fight against the romans but the truth is is the romans we're just dominating everybody for for fucking so long. There's no, nothing anybody could do. You know, they were just so powerful and they had su such a massive amount of resources, logistics. They were years ahead of everybody else. Anyway, uh, that seems to be the idea behind behind using the cross. But it turns out that you don't necessarily have to die. It's painful. It's 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 meant to keep you alive, though. And if you survive, there were instances where they'd be like, wow, you've been up there for a couple days. You're a badass. You can go home. <laughs> you get a pass. You get a pass. You're in. Yeah. You're good to go. Please play Crucifixion 2. It was rare for anyone to survive more than a few hours on the cross. 
But in 63 AD, the historian Josephus recorded the crucifixion of three men. Josephus was one of the ancient historians who chronicles the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. In Josephus' account, one of the three victims was still alive after three days. And so impressed with this were the authorities that they decided to let him down, and he survived the whole crucifixion process. How did he survive? How did he survive, Booberry? Uh, <laughs> well, the first immediate thought that came to mind was he had the little fleshy bit that's underneath of his tongue snipped in half so that he could reach his tongue back through the back of his skull up to his pineal gland and get that sweet, sticky, icky D&T drip. Uh, Genius. Before lick the toad, there was lick yourself. <laughs> lick the gland, man. Lick the gland, bro. Yeah, man, just snip, snip. Get that tongue back down in there, bro. I wish. That'd be cool. I wouldn't, That's probably what Jesus did, honestly. But, um... No, it's it's about you being in good shape. If you're in good shape and you're hydrated and you hadn't missed a meal in a while and you wanted to live, you could do it. It would suck, but eventually you do it. Yeah, and you'd have to said, sit, sit there and hold yourself up, you know, so you don't end up suffocating, you know, compressing your lungs, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, you, as Bougie said, you got the, you, you usually had a rope. If you just nailed the person up by their limbs, then they could ultimately probably slide off. <laughs> or, you know, they actually had to latch them and lash them to the cross, right? Do you know what Jesus said when they removed the nails out of his hands? Oh, gosh. The feet, the feet, the feet, the feet! The feet, the feet! <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> Jesus, forgive them, Father. They do not know what the fuck they're doing. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, they do not know how bad they have just fucked up. You know, just fucked up. Uh, by the way, uh, Widow Garrett over in NAS just sent me the IMDb page for King of Kings, 1961. Thank you. I'll throw that on next Easter. Nice. <laughs> King of Kings. It looks bombastic. Um, they're so bombastic. You, when you watch them, you're like, man, this shit costs so much money to make. Yeah. That that chariot scene is so badass even now. Like you take it for granted. Oh, that chariot scene, you watch it, and you're like, holy shit, how did they make this? Um, anyway. And then in the beginning of Demetrius and the Greeks, they were they they really fought lions. They're in the they're in the Colosseum and they're fighting, you know, in front of Caligula, and they really fucking threw lions at those actors. Oh, bro, can you add Caligula to the list? Caligula, of course. I've never seen Caligula. Oh, yeah, of course. Nice. Sexy. Yeah, sexy. <laughs> sexy, that's the downfall. The downfall of Rome right there, baby. Anyway, uh, so as we have brought up before, a lot of this stuff gets tied back to earlier uh Earlier, you know, uh, societies, cultures, historic, historical cultures. Gosh, I'm having trouble with words today, I think. But um, when you go far back, how far back can we go? Uh, ancient Egypt. That's as far back as really we got, as far as 
as Western society is concerned. And when it comes to death, death seems to be the constant in a lot of these different religions. Death is very revered for obvious reasons, but we've talked about their connection with skull and bones and with death cults and with the idea that um, with Christianity, there's the ultimate goal of everlasting life. And that is probably dichotomized with the idea of this, the death cult, the idea that, that there is a life after death. You will die. And it's, it's how you traverse into the next life uh, that matters. And with the pharaohs and with everything that comes with ancient Egypt, according to Egyptologists, just about every major monument that has ever been constructed uh, by ancient Egypt that exists today was built for the purpose of revering death in some form, whether it's a tomb or a catacomb or whatever. It always has to do with death in some way. So, in that vein, we go to the temple. Please play Crocodile Rock 1. It was not only people who were mummified. The ancient Egyptians also mummified animals. Is it? Is this one? The temple? The temple? Yep. Yes. Okay, just making sure. Just, just making sure. Because yes, this, they, they didn't just do the, the people. They did the animals too. Please continue. Sorry. To discover why, Egyptologist and mummy expert Salima Ikram has traveled to the temple of Kom Ombo on the bank of the great river Nile. There probably was always a temple at Komombo because generally sites where you see a temple, the temple is built there because that site has been sacred for hundreds and hundreds of years. The temple was dedicated to the crocodile god Sobek. The ancient Egyptians chose a lot of their gods based on the natural world, and crocodiles are large, terrifying things, so they wanted to appease them. Also, of course, anything that comes from the Nile or from water has a very sacred nature for the ancient Egyptians because one of their creation myths talk about how the world emerged from water. Sobek became among Egypt's most important deities. He really came into his own about 2000 BC when a lot of lakes were being used and there were crocodiles there. And so any god associated with water and with power of fertility and virility, like Sobek, were all, became, all became sort of very important. And that's when Sobek first started having major temples dedicated to himself. Crocodiles were allowed to roam freely around the temple in honor of the god. Not only did they have the traditional images of the god kept in a sacred place, but they also had live crocodiles here who were the personification of the god Sobek. And so people would come from miles and miles around to go and visit the god, to make offerings to the god, and also sort of to be in the presence of the deity himself. Mm. That's right, the original crocodile rock. <laughs> we had to put oh. all your blessings and offerings on. That's right. That's right. Uh, so they had this temple, uh, various temples, and as they said, Egypt was full of uh, sacred sites. And Egypt was around so long that these sacred sites were developed over thousands of years into the majestic temples that they are now. And one of them was to crocodiles. And I thought that was fucking great. Because you always hear about mummies. You know about King Tut, and you know about all those guys. But you never hear about the animals. And the more intricate aspects of the... Um, the mummification situation that was going on where there were pe members of the arist the aristocracy who maybe weren't part of the royal family 
but they were very wealthy and they wouldn't get their whole bodies mummified, but they would get something like their hands mummified. You know, basically mummification on a budget. You, you know, <laughs> I, I can't have my whole body done, but maybe I'll get my head or my hands done or something, or my dick, whatever. Maybe I'll just get my ass mummified. <laughs> get my ass mummy. You seen an ass mummy? Keep on tapping that to the afterlife. <laughs> Tap it into All this we know life is f- and that life. <laughs> Four thousand years ago, this person was thick, <laughs> thick, thick, so thick, thick mummy. Look at those mummy wraps. Oh my god, <laughs> wrapped tight, wrapped tar. So good. <laughs> so anyway, uh, turns out that of course, if they're going to mummify animals, they're not just going to mummify any old animal. Sure, they'll mummify uh, a cat or whatever, but. In the grand scheme of things, what's better to do is to mummify something as cool as a fucking crocodile. And as, and as it so happens, we have Crocodile Jesus. We have the mummified return of Crocodile Jesus. He, he's around today. He's, he's running around. Please play Crocodile Rock 2. The crocodile was revered even after death. Here in a side room are the desiccated remains of an animal that once wandered in the temple. This priceless relic was once venerated by countless pilgrims. This crocodile has probably been dead for at least 2,000 years and maybe a bit more. Worshippers would also make offerings of mummified crocodiles to the gods. By giving a votive offering of a crocodile, what the worshipper does is, is offer something that is much more intimate to the god. And also, this little mummified crocodile acted as a sort of ambassador for the person for all of eternity. So you always had someone whispering to Sobek. The first stage of mummification is to immerse the body in natural salts to draw out the moisture. Without moisture, it cannot rot. When it is completely dry, it is coated in a preservative resin to bind the surface against deterioration. Preserving a reptile was relatively easy compared with catching one. Yeah, no shit. Mmm, reptile jerky. Mmm. Dipped in uh, honey? Amber. Dipped in honey and salt. <laughs> resin. And herbs. And 26 herbs and spices. <laughs> <laughs> It was a whole thing. So they, and they grab your glass nail, little blowtorch. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, then you get forgeries. You start forging them. Oh yeah. And that happened because it's as you said, it was hard to catch a crocodile. Crocodiles are terrified; they'll kill you. And they're running around the. I mean, I know Bushi isn't afraid of them, but they're they're running around the temple, and and they're running. They're just they're just open willy nilly in the garden. Anytime that thing can break your fucking arm or your head with its big old, with its big old chompers, you know what I mean? Uh, but they had them, and you know they had the babies, they had the bigger ones. But it's obvious that the priests kind of got tired of chasing down crocodiles because they keep finding fake crocodile mummies, which I think is a good band name. That's pretty good. I think it's more album material. Maybe an album, the fake, or maybe a tour. It's the fake Crocodile Mummy Tour. Yeah, it's got to be shorter. Anyway, uh, please play Crocodile 3. Fake, fake Crocodile Jesus. 
100 years ago, the American explorer Henry Welcome discovered a perfectly preserved example of a mummified crocodile, one he believed to be a fake. But is it? The specimen is kept at the Egypt Center of Swansea University in Britain. We do have whole live crocodiles that have been mummified, but on the other hand, we also have an awful lot of fakes. Veterinary surgeon Emma Littler has been called in to look inside this ancient relic using an X-ray machine. For the first time in 2,000 years, the crocodile mummy will give up its secret. We will know what is inside it. So we what? can know once and for all, hopefully, whether or not there was a real crocodile in there or whether it is just a bag of sand. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think? Do you think it's real or it's fake? Hmm. Do I think it's real or do me, I think let me, it's... Let me give you a little background, just quick, real quick. So these guys, they had trouble catching the crocodile. So what they would do is they would make up the mummy stuff and it, they would make it look so good. And they say that actually, if the mummy looks too good, then it, there's a good chance it's a fake because they're trying to cover up the fact that there's not a crocodile in there. Uh, a lot of the times they open up the, the crocodile mummies and they find stones and sticks and logs and bullshit. It's fucking fake. It's fake, okay? Fake crocodiles. The worst <laughs> ever. Where is Snopes? Fact check files. <laughs> Reuter my butthole. Well, I can I can barely hold my 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 Stewarts, man. Uh, I, I gotta well, know. I gotta know. Is it real or what, was what it? What do you think? Is it is I'll, it real or is it fake? You think it's real or is it fake? Mm, I'm gonna go fake. I'm gonna go. You gonna go fake? I'm gonna go You're fake. Gonna go fake. Is that your final answer? Yep. Yep. You sure? I f sure as fuck. All right, hit it up. There is definitely yep, something in there. Absolutely clear. There we are. You can see here the outline of the, the head, um, and this is just the first two sections. So it's actually embedded in, or it's inside so the first two sections. That's it. There. Does it that yeah, that's right. And there's there nothing backwards. in this. There's, there's a couple of ways. There's nothing in the tail. This remarkable artifact does indeed contain the remains of a crocodile that once swam the waterways of ancient Egypt over 2,000 years ago. What? That's crazy. But a genuine Great. messenger to the gods. That's a genuine messenger to the gods, Boo Berry. You wow. fucked up. Damn, son. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh trippy, man. Very groovy. Very cool. I like that. Groovy. Groovy. Yes. Crocodile Rock was alive and well, 2000 BC. Hmm. Yeah, I've definitely seen, like, pictures in the books of, like, mummified cats and shit. And that was definitely a given, but uh, a mummified crocodile. Now that. See if I can find one. Because they look cool. I bet, dude. Oh, here we go. I got one for you. I got one for you. Look at this fucking thing. Post it in the chat. Good to go. Wow. 
<laughs> I, I got another one for you. Think that would be a really cool like throw pillow for a couch, like a sectional. Oh, are you kidding me, bro? Perfect. That's Perfect. that's so much ma- just raw material. Just that's just a huge fucking thing. <laughs> just I look up. at that and I see a thousand man hours. You know, it's uh, so much work put into that and time. It's been around for so long. It'd be the perfect throw pillow. And we talk about like trying to move that shit too. Yeah. Especially the second photo, that middle fucker. Damn. That big boy. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's a real big in there. Here I got one no one last image of it uh unwrapped like a Christmas present. Ooh. If this thing will load. Here we go. I'm posting it in the chat. We got one of it unwrapped in its jerky form. Oh. Mmm. Yum. Mm. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my Wow. Oh my crocodile god. Sabek of ancient Egypt. They worship these things, you know. Like I said, they were they were going around lakes. They were really rocking that southern empire, and uh, they they dealt with a lot of crocodiles. So had to go on to the list of the uh, pantheon, you know. So they had to go out, capture a crocodile, kill a crocodile, mummify the crocodile, and then worship the crocodile, and then let the other crocodiles into the temple live to walk around <laughs> and i don't know if you know but crocodiles they got a wee bit of a get, temper yeah they don't, they don't, give, they don't fuck around <laughs> 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 they've been doing the fuck around find out thing for about 65 million so they know what they're doing uh it's a beautiful thing yeah, i thought t- this talking was talking about so a, cool. a, a a fucking Species that didn't really have much need for evolving. <laughs> they no. They found a groove that worked for them. <laughs> yeah, we can <laughs> chomp onto your leg, break it immediately, drag you into this water, spin around a bunch of times, thus ripping you apart, and then we're going to eat you in this muck and have a great day. We're going to have a great day doing it. It's a great day to be a crocodile. It has been for a long time. So, yeah, I thought I'd go back in time. You know me, Mr. History Guy. I like to talk about the origins of the crucifixion, which is the foundation of this holiday that we just celebrated. And then go even further back and talk about crocodile jerky and mummies and crocodile Jesus. I think next we need to investigate whether or not the Romans ever crucified a crocodile or not. Uh, Mm. They probably threw it in the Colosseum. I wonder oh. if they had crocodiles in the Coliseum. Oh, you know what? We're probably breaking a podcasting law of looking it up on the fly, but we want crocodiles to know. in the Coliseum. Yeah, this, is, <laughs> this has to be answered. Crocodiles in Coliseum. Crocodiles continued to be featured in games and even hunted in pools. For the ancient Romans, a crocodile represented Egypt and Egypt's fall. In the might of the Colosseum, Roman people controlled the animals in the Colosseum. Wow, so I think they did. <laughs> Where are you reading that from? 
I'm reading this from some something probably not substantial. Uh, I got a Forbes article here. The ancient crocodile hunters that helped to supply the Roman games. Uh-huh. How did the nice. Romans come to inco- incorporate crocodiles into displays with the Roman games? Uh, look at a, a look at the myths, fear, and artistic depictions of crocodiles reveals a Roman fascination with these fearsome creatures and with the majest- uh, majesty of ancient Egypt. Uh, there you go, because Egypt was very important to Rome. Yeah. Oh, look at this. The Greek, uh, Greco-Roman fascination with Egyptian crocodiles stretches back at least to the Greek historian Herodotus. Aha! The OG. You <laughs> see, people, we know what we're talking about around here. We do our homework <laughs> around here, okay? Don't fucking call me a whatever theorist. Fucking read. <laughs> he noted uh, some truths and a number of fallacies about the crocodile that was sure to capture the imagination of his Greek readers. It had the eyes of a pig, teeth large and tusk-like, of a size proportioned to its frame, unlike any other animal. It is without a tongue, it cannot move its underjaw, and in this respect it is singular, being the only animal in the world which moves the upper jaw, upper jaw but not the under. The article gets into yeah, more historians and shit. Perfect Forbes article for it. Yeah, it's, and it's got all the mosaics and all the, the beautiful art. They got the hippos. They got crocodiles. The games in general, because it wasn't just in the Colosseum. They built Colosseums all over the world. They urbanized the world. And, uh, and Egypt was very important in that. First of all, in the fact that they worshipped and they took all the shit from Greece, which in Greece took all the shit from Egypt. So Egypt, they understood that Egypt was the origin of all great knowledge. And as Bully Steed very uh, correctly says in the chat, Egypt also provided grain to Rome. And without the grain from Egypt, Rome would have starved. And, uh, and so would have its armies. And that's why the... Um, the relationship of Julius Caesar and Mark Antony with Cleopatra is so well known. That was all in the offset. That was all in the offset of the, the after Alexander's death, the whole world, the whole known world, was split up uh, basically amongst his generals, and one of his generals, Ptolemy, got control of all of Egypt, and Cleopatra was like his great 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 granddaughter or whatever. You know, those families ruled those chunks of the world for centuries. Um. Yeah. And, and there was a lot less people out there, too. A lot less then. people, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Agreed. I get there's some more interesting stuff in this Forbes article. It talks about uh, how the uh, magistrates were competitive in the sense that they were trying to uh, increasingly use the games to impress, to impress the masses and promote their own personal brand through the mm-hmm. display of exotic animals in a kind of fatal zoo aquarium that was the Roman arena. Uh, yeah, Rome one, always wanted to impress the barbarians they conquered. In 58 BC, another Roman uh, in charge, Aedile, A-E-D-I-L-E, I'm not sure what that is, in charge of the games, uh, had put on a spectacular, new and unusual display for the people of Rome. Five Egyptian crocodiles and, oh my god, a hippopotamus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> See, a crocodile is oh, terrifying, but a hippopotamus is... Ten times, a hundred times more terrifying to me than a crocodile. 
Hippopotamus will sprint up to you and rip you apart. A crocodile will be a little slow. I don't know. Hippopotamus are scary, man. Pretty sure they're, to this day, the, the animal that kill the most people every year. Mm-hmm. A very aggressive, violent animal. Yeah. Hundreds of people a year die from hippo. Way more than sharks. Way more than sharks. Less than 10 people a year die from sharks. Like 10 to, 30, 10 to 15 people die a year from shark attacks. Uh, Forbes goes on to mention uh, increased social, religious, and aesthetic fascination with Egypt that would intensify under Caesar, uh, come to a crescendo under Augustus. Uh, it was during the reign of Augustus in the two uh, in the year 2 BC that 36 crocodiles would be hunted in a special pool made within Rome's Circus uh, Flaminius. The display was a dramatic bon voyage uh, gesture to Agrippa's son and Augustus's uh, adopted heir, Gaius. Mm. Mm. Gaius Caesar. He was heading out on an eastern campaign, after all. Uh, yeah, 36. So he, he makes a part of the theme. So if he, if he goes on a trip to Egypt or he goes on a trip to the east, then he, then he makes a spectacle of it before he leaves because it's this big trip. You might as well theme it, right? It, no, and, yeah, and absolutely. And show your glory and your wealth by importing these these crazy animals from the other corner of the earth. Uh, there was a, a Pliny the Elder, I think is how you pronounce his name, a natural mm-hmm. historian. Great beer. <laughs> uh, he noted that uh, the way these crocodiles were captured for the games was by having local men of small stature who lived on the Nile, uh, called the Tentriites. Uh, Lord them mm. and place them with a rod in their mouth. Hmm. So probably had a big stick and let the crocodile grab onto it. Because, you know, once it's once it's fucking down, it's shut. Mm. Yep. Once it's down, it's down. Pliny. Pliny's a guy we could get into one of these days. There are a lot of great old historians that you can rock. And, and great uh, writers. And certain individuals, like, especially in Rome, like Seneca. But gosh, so much of that. See, a reservoir was made for them with a sort of stage on one of the sides to form a basking place for them coming out on the water. And then uh, these persons went into the water, drew them out, uh, drew them in a net to the place where they might sun themselves and be exhibited, and then dragged them back again to the reservoir. Jesus. Hmm. I wonder if they were descended from the the ancient Egyptian crocodile wranglers. It <laughs> <laughs> was an honored tradition passed down, word of mouth. Passed down for thousands of years. Good night, Junta. <laughs> they couldn't do hand-to-hand because, well, certain people didn't have the hands. Yeah, no. ah, they were ah, mummified. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> nice rebound. <laughs> Yeah, circle back. Circle back. Let me circle back on that. Wanna... Well, that's fun. I'm going to go yeah. fucking hunt some crocodile in the Roman Colosseum. Total Chad. Just, I'm, ta- I'm stud. Talk about like the ancient jock, right? Oh, don't you heard about him, bro? Oh, he wrestles gators, bro. That's what they said in 2000 BC. Yeah. Here. Hold my... Uh, hold my ale. <laughs> hold my beer. Let's literally still hold my beer. That's how far back beer goes. <laughs> 2000 BC, the guy goes, hey, I'm going to rockle that, rockle that crock. Hold my beer. 
Hold my ceramic jar of beer. Hold my wine. <laughs> Only the Pharaoh got wine. Oh, uh, that's fair. That's fair. Only the the most wealthy Egyptians got wine. Everybody else got good beer. The beginning of beer. Fucking Egyptians, are you kidding me? That there's no recorded uh there's no record of barley or wheat production older than Egyptian records. And that some of the oldest records we have, some of the oldest bits of writing we have are just simple communications between like, oh, 300 things of barley, 200 things of wheat, you know, shipping instructions and, and uh, what am I, what am I trying Ledgers. Ledgers are some of the oldest writing that we have. Business transactions. The blockchain, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> this is the ancient Egyptian blockchain. It's called the Nile. Anyway, that's what I have to say about ancient Egypt. Uh, obviously obligatory fuck ancient Egypt. Um, mm, fuck ancient Egypt. Goes without saying. They're mummified crocodiles and and fighting in coliseums. I think this is because I watched, well, obviously it was Eastern. I watched all these Roman movies that we we're talking about. And when you watch the movies, you're kind of, there's this sort of disbelief. You're like, there's no way that they built all this crazy shit and everybody has this uniform, beautiful armor and all this dyed stuff. And, you know, you, you, you get a sense that it's like, they're kind of printing it up. It's too Hollywood, you know, but then you look at some of this stuff, you go back and you look, listen, you read about the guys talk about it, but then you see these mosaics that you've shown just now with this Forbes article and with what i watched it's uh what they did was really impressive for that time and we we ought to give it more credit and and it gives it lends more to the fact that human beings have had basically the same intellectual capacity that they've had forever man there's one there's one that i'm looking at that it looks like a legitimate dinosaur that they're fighting it's about halfway down uh, I don't know if he still have the link. Yeah, open. I see it. Yeah, it's like a rhino or something, some African beast, or maybe it's a hippo. Oh yeah, it could be a hippo. Could be a hippo. It could be a hippo on crack. <laughs> They're doing shit, man. They were working back then. That's for sure. No they, doubt. They just enslaved everybody. Oh my god. Well, I, uh, I I wish I could hit you with a scream mail, but uh, we didn't have any other ones come through. Well, that's okay. You know, the moon is waning, Mercury is in retrograde, and maybe everybody just wants to save their vocal cords and not scream it out this fine Monday night. But in the event that you do want to let us know what's on your mind, you can always give us a call at 612-263-7999. Yes, and we do the show every Monday night over at badradio.live. It's the Scaly Show, 30, 10.30 Eastern, respectively. Hang out in our green room. All sorts of cool things going on there all times of the day, all days of the week. That's right. And if you just want to go right to the source, like you said, badradio.live or behind the schemes 
dot com uh, with threes for ease in schemes. Yes, and uh, we're also live uh, every Monday night in CurioCaster using that celebrated live item tag because mm-hmm. this is one lit son of a bitch. And we're also now live on the No Agenda stream, oh, uh, which yes. is kind of a new thing to come forward, and, and we're very pleased, and a uh, big thanks to Sir Bemrose, and uh, of course Adam and JCD and Shill and everybody, Void Zero, everybody in the No Agenda sphere. Uh, it's a it's a an honor and a privilege to be able to hijack the stream every single Monday night, 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. Lit. It's a good deal. <laughs> it's quite lit. Well, now I just want to go talk to mushrooms and worship crocodile Jesus. Yeah, I can do some mushrooms right now. I've never done a crocodile Jesus, but I'd do one. Crocodile Jesus does you. <laughs> Don't you hate it when they just fake that crocodile Jesus? <laughs> crocodile Jesus always fakes it. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> Good crocodile lord. And there's people who are like conspiracy theorists about this conspiracy theory, right? There's a theory about the theory, the hypothesis. I'm a conspiracy hypothesizer. Uh, and I'm just a, a conspiracy curiositor. And I'm gonna yeah. go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go play with a little bit of curiosity. And until next time, I've been Booberry Black Knight of the Mothman. Yes, indeed, and I have also been lavish. Maybe they'll be behind you. Yeah, maybe they'll get right behind you. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Booberry and lavish, they're magical over there behind the schemes. I see their magic being all magical. Put on your 3D glasses now. Social credit deep. You sound like a hysterical, bleeping, snowflake, lesbo bleep. uh, Live is lit. Boobery wants some action. Oh, sweet baby lavish. The green room is a safe space for all. Oh my god. Go podcasting. This show is behind the shem shemas. The schemes. Behind the schemes with threes as ease.